Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. Based off a couple of the comments of players who I talked to yesterday, I, I agree. I think that the competition would have been harder to go out to the West. But after talking to some of the players, they were like, you know what? We, we love the predictability, the hard style, the hard-nosed style of Colorado, Vegas. We know exactly what we're going to get out of L.A. So they love the predictability of the West. Surprisingly to me, so some of these Blues players, I think the better half of the Blues players, and I think Doug Armstrong, was okay with going out West because of that predictability factor. Well, they still might be going out West. <laughs> with Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. You guys can get involved in the show. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop feature is always on the 101 ESPN app. So over the last 24 hours, I feel like we've all been kind of flailing in the wind, right? We went up to Parasail and we just took, the wind took us where it was going to. And last night, Pierre Lebrun, along with a bunch of other hockey insiders across the landscape, and we're going to talk with one of them, Darren Drager, coming up at 1130, reported that Minnesota could once again be swapping roles in these new division realignment. Apparently, Dallas could be swapping with Minnesota. So what this would mean is Dallas, instead of being in the Pacific, would be in the Central Minnesota would be kicking and screaming going over to the Pacific Division, which would ultimately, again, if this all stays true, which we saw yesterday is not a guarantee, (laughs) would still leave St. Louis in the Pacific Division. You just heard there from Joey Vitale, who was on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today. He says players are actually okay with this. They don't mind going out to the West Coast, being in warmer cities during the season and playing against teams that are a little bit more predictable. Ferrario, you're my hockey expert what do you think about this if this is ultimately where the blues end up well first of all bk last night i felt like uh ron burgundy i felt like i was in a glass case of emotions with everything because at one time i see michael russo's report just when i finally came to terms with okay the pacific division's where it's at i see michael russo's report that minnesota's going to the pacific and i'm thinking okay obvious choice st louis is going back to the central no, That's what I felt like too. <laughs> Apparently Dallas is just as much kicking and screaming as the Minnesota Wild are, and that's at least from some of the reporting that these owners on Minnesota and Dallas's side have uh, shown very dissent of playing in the Pacific Division. I'm fine with it, but I think it's just a little 
a little raw to the St. Louis Blues. And I see where Joe Vitale's coming from with his point. Because we talked about it on this week as Hockey Well last night. The Blues play well when they know what their opponent has. And I think that is the Pacific. Because every one of those teams with the with the discount of the Colorado Avalanche, because they are a speed-oriented team, they all play heavy. They all play big. They play to the Blues style. Minnesota going over to the Pacific makes them a little bit more even in competition because now I feel like there's a clear-cut three in the Pacific. It's Colorado, it's Vegas, and St. Louis. Minnesota and Arizona are right behind those guys. With Dallas in that Pacific division, there were four clear-cut teams at the top, and I think that's what the biggest problem was. Now with the Central having Dallas on its side, I think there's a clear-cut on both sides, which makes it a little bit more competitive, which I think is going to be good for the NHL in the long haul. I told you yesterday, I feel even more this way today. I actually think, and if we're comparing it to not the Central Division now, the new one that's going to have these um, eight teams in it, if we're comparing it to what the typical Central Winnipeg, Division would Nashville, be. Nashville, Minnesota, yes. yeah. The division that the Blues would normally be playing in. I think that the Pacific that is newly constructed is an easier route to the playoffs for the Blues than the Central would be. Now, that is not to suggest that it is going to be easy. It is not going to be easy. Vegas is going to be tough as hell. You're going to see Colorado still, but you would have had them in your other division as well. Now, you don't have Nashville and Winnipeg. That's better to me. If you're trading out those teams and the Blackhawks for... Anaheim and Arizona and LA. Okay. San Jose. Okay. I'm good with that. These are some of the bottom feeders in the NHL right now that are kind of, they were once upon a time contenders, but they are no longer those teams. So for me, if you're looking at it competitively, this doesn't seem as bad as it originally sounded just by the shock of, wait, the Blues are playing where? Mm-hmm. It sucks for fans because you're going to have the, those nine o'clock start times. Although reading Jeremy Rutherford right. yesterday, he mentioned, hey, it's basically like 16 games that you're probably going to have that are that late nine o'clock start. And time. because there's no fans, JR said that there's a possibility that they could push it back an hour to mountain time to where you're looking at eight o'clock starts here in St. Louis rather than nine o'clock. So it's not as bad as Mm -hmm. we had originally expected. It still sucks. Um, And there are some of the rivalries that you're not going to have. I wish that the Blues could have been in the division with Chicago and with Detroit. That would have been nice with Nashville as well. But you get to see Vegas more times than you otherwise would. And you get that Petrangelo connection. So for the future, it actually could create a bigger rivalry. We've already seen kind of the start of that between St. Louis and Vegas. It could get even bigger this year, which is something kind of of a silver lining with these divisional realignments. So there's something out there. And hearing Joey Vitale say that the Blues players prefer this does make me wonder if that's why. The Blues ownership group, the Blues front office wasn't pushing back maybe as much as Minnesota or Dallas. Joey talked about this too with me last night on This Week in Hockey, BK, and he said, you know, he knows these players. These players play better when they're on the road, right? We saw that in 2018-19 when they won the Cup. When they're on the planes for a long period of time, when they're on the road together for long periods of time, they play better. And I think that's why the necessity of going to the West Coast was here for these guys. Don't worry about the time 
zones because, frankly, you're going to be there for three to four days. You're going to adjust to those time zones pretty easily with what the Blues will be doing rather than the quick three-game swings that they used to do through Canada and come home. Uh, the other factor into this, and Joey, it, it makes a great point. Would you rather play in Anaheim or would you rather play in Columbus, Ohio? Yeah. Would you rather play in San Jose or would you rather play in Detroit, Michigan in the middle of winter? Well, and one other thing that we haven't really considered here is, are they going to be playing in Anaheim? Are they going to be playing in L.A.? Are they going to be able to play in San Jose? Because as of today, I think the answer to that question would be no. Right. I'm not sure you could even literally hold a hockey game with as many players and people as would need to be in those arenas to put them on in any of those areas right now. Like San Jose, I know you couldn't put a hockey game on right now. So there are going to be some questions as to where these games are actually played. Are they going to start out in a hub and then maybe move closer to the individual cities? We just... We don't know. We don't have the answers to these questions. One thing that was answered yesterday, Ferrario, and man, this is a power move by the NHL, if I've ever seen one. There was a report that apparently the NHL is planning to buy vaccines for all of the people that are involved with putting on the season next year. So basically, this would mean anybody that is involved in putting on the season, you're going to get vaccinated as soon as the NHL can get its hands on those vaccines. Now, if you remember back to when the restart took place, there was a lot of thought put into place from the NHL, from Major League Baseball, from the NBA as well, of making sure that they were not taking tests away from people who needed them in those individual areas. I would think that the same would be true of vaccinations. I'm not sure how you can make sure that that is the case. But to me, it's a business and they are trying to find a way to make sure that their business is able to be put on and their product is literally the players. And so the best way to make sure that those players are available every night is by getting them all vaccinated as soon as as possible. I would imagine you're going to see some sort of an announcement, though, from the league of, hey, in these individual cities, we will also be paying for vaccinations for people within the community. I don't know what they're going to do, but there will be some sort of community outreach to be able to soften the blow from people that are not hockey fans that see this and are like, hold on, what? They're jumping in front of the line? Is this really what we're doing for pro sports? Yeah, well, and that's what I thought. So John Shannon, who who covers the NHL, reported it last night, too, that said, at least from his understanding, the NHL is saying they're going to purchase it, but only when it's available for private purchasing Mm -hmm. so that they're not jumping ahead of people. But I do think the NHL is going to find whatever way they can to assure the safety. And that's going to be the interesting fact, too, when we talk with Darren Dreger, because I don't know if this is what's also in the conversations with the Board of Governors approval. Like, are the players wanting some type of certainty that there's going to be vaccinations for them so that they can be assured that they're going to be safe throughout a season that doesn't include a bubble? Is that where this is at? Or is this more the owner side that's saying, hey, we need to make sure everyone involved is safe? so that this makes an easy runway for fans coming back into the stadiums because we know everyone that's working at the stadium is safe. So I think there's a lot of pieces with this right now. And it, un- it makes sense because, look, the Golden State Warriors is doing the exact same thing. He's purchasing him himself so that he can put fans in the stands. Um, but at least from the reporting last night from a couple of people, John Shannon including, it looks like they're waiting until they're privately available for the NHL to purchase rather than jumping ahead of essential workers and getting it from them. They, they definitely won't jump ahead of essential workers, but... They can jump ahead of the public. Yeah, they can say as much as they want to try to stop this blowback against them um, of what they're waiting. 
let's be honest here. They're going to get it as quickly as they can, and they should. They're right. a private business, and that's what they're going to do. I understand it. It is definitely going to have a little bit of pushback from some of the public that is not hockey fans, no, though. That's how this works. talking about? It's People how it works. Hockey. It's 11.15. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. We'll try to get some more answers on all of this, where the Blues are going to play, when the official start date will be, and what the vaccine situation looks like for the league, all with Darren Drager coming up at 11.30. Casey Stern of Sirius XM MLB Radio is going to join us at noon. He was on one yesterday. He was not happy about the Cardinals not bringing back already Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright so we'll talk with him coming up at noon and at 1230 Zach Mizell of the Athletics going to join us to talk about the latest with Francisco Lindor but coming up next Ferrario I think there are three questions that the Cardinals need to answer in 2021 so that way they can get back to truly competing in 2022 I'll tell you what those are coming up on 101 ESPN we're back to the ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN There is no ceiling on him. He's, he's someone that I, I feel like he's growing into the big leagues. He has a sense or understanding for it now. I think the exposure he received last year to it was, was helpful. Um, I think he's someone that can hit the ball um, to all fields. We, we all agree he's a dynamic outfielder. So I just think there's a, there's a lot to like about his game. And uh, so now it's just about opportunity and playing time. That was John Mosaylock on Fox Sports Midwest last night talking about Dylan Carlson saying, quote, there is no ceiling on him, which is interesting, certainly, to say the least. I think there are three questions that the Cardinals need answered this year. Only three? I think there are three main (laughs) questions that the Cardinals need answered in 2021 to be able to feel confident that they're going to be able to compete at a really, really high level in 2022. And I don't know that it much matters what the answers are to these questions, but these answers will give them their path forward next offseason. So the first question, we talked a little bit about this yesterday, so we don't have to spend too much time on it. But my first question for the Cardinals this upcoming year Is Paul DeYoung actually a middle-of-the-order bat? Because the Cardinals treat him as such, they planned going into last year that he was going to be their cleanup hitter. By the end of the season, he was hitting 4-5-6. That was kind of where he spent the majority of his time. Is that really what he is? Because if you look at his numbers, the answer to the question is clearly no. The power hasn't been what we expected. Last year, if you specifically look at that, his slugging percentage ranking on the Cardinals was ninth. He had a lower slugging percentage on the year than Yadier Molina. That's not what you're looking for. He was basically right around the same uh, line as Colton Wong in terms of his slugging. Uh, That's not good enough for Paul DeYoung if he's going to be a middle-of-the-order hitter. That being said, if he does become that, Now you don't feel the same need to go get another power bat because if he can become what the Cardinals need, now you don't have to go elsewhere to get that. So that's my first question that needs to be answered for them. My number two question for the Cardinals is Dylan Carlson actually ready to hit in the top three? Because this year, he spent some time batting cleanup, some time batting second in the order, and he spent a little bit of time at the bottom of the order. What is he now? Not what are his prospects. You just heard Mo. There's no ceiling on him. I think he's going to be a really good player eventually. Is he there now? Is he ready to already step into that role as the number two hitter for you? We need to find out an answer to that. And then final question, number three, is Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas an everyday player moving forward for you? If Tyler O'Neill is an everyday player... 
that means that this year he probably hit 25, 30 homers. If Lane Thomas is an everyday player, it means he made good on what the Cardinals thought he was going to do in 2020. You need to know those three things. Is Paul DeYoung a middle-of-the-order bat? Is Dylan Carlson ready to hit in the top three? And are either Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas everyday players for you? Can I add one more question in? Please. Because I think the offense is the more important one, but I do think this season you have to find out if you truly have that depth, that rotation for your pitching. Because if Gomber... Ponce, Reyes, Martinez, if all of these guys don't pan out, then your offseason looks a little different because, one, you might not have Wayno. Two, I don't think you're going to be bringing back KK. And then you basically have Flaherty, Michaelis, Hudson, and hopefully, Hudson if he's hopefully. So rather than having the depth of pitching that we thought you've had, then your offseason goes to now we got to add another per- a pitcher into this rotation. Do you feel like they can get that answer though this year? Because like I know they're going to have answers on Paul DeYoung. I know they're going to by the end of the season have a pretty good idea of whether or not Dylan Carlson is a top three hitter. I know that this year they're going to give some sort of an answer, whether it be in the positive or the negative, on Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas. Yeah. With the rotation, I don't know if we're going to have firm answers next year on Alex Reyes. I think we'll have firm answers on three of those four. Martinez, yes. Ponce, and he's yes. Gone. We can yeah. go, I have an answer for you right yeah, now. That's true. <laughs> that 18 million. <laughs> we, can, we can go ahead and right. stop on Carlos Martinez. He's not going to be back. Okay, right. next one up. Ponce, I think we'll have an answer on. Gomber, I think we'll have an answer on. I don't know on Ponce. Um, and I definitely don't think we're going to have an answer on Thompson or Liberatory. No, those will be the two that are still wondering kind of how they grow. And so that's why, like, I think we're going to have definitive statements one way or the other on the hitters. Mm-hmm. I think the rotation, they'll go into 2022 and kind of like what we're talking about right now with the hitters. I think that's going to be a little bit more of an evaluation year for the rotation, whereas next year is an evaluation season for the lineup. And and I apologize for for directing a different way with the pitching, but looking at your three questions, the biggest one for me is Paul DeYoung. And look, if you find out that Tyler O'Neill can be an everyday player, even if you're not anywhere near believing he's an everyday player, but he makes steps forward... That's good for you because then you can decide what to do. But I think Paul DeYoung is kind of the difference maker on this, and it's what John Moselak kind of talked about with Dylan Carlson having a a, a no ceiling with this is let him run. But if Paul DeYoung's not a middle-of-the-order bat, BK, well, then you take two steps backwards in an offseason that you thought you just needed one more bat. Right. Like you don't you don't go into 2021 offseason thinking if we get one more power bat, we're going to be a contender because we got everything else. If Paul DeYoung's not the 30 to 35 home run hitter in the three, four, five range. Well, then now you're looking at two big bats. And if Carlson takes that step, maybe that helps out. But I think I think. Paul DeYoung, in my opinion, is the biggest question of all of these moving into next season. Yeah, because he's the only guy still remaining that we think has any shot at being that middle-of-the-order bat that they've been missing now for six years. And they've told us for the last five, six years, they've they've thought that they've had answers, right? At one point, they thought that the answer to those questions was Marcelo Zuna. And then they brought in Paul um, Paul Goldschmidt to be able to be in the middle of the order with Marcelo Zuna. And Ozuna just never became the guy that we thought he was going to be. And then this year, the plan was, okay, well, we think Paul DeYoung is ready to take that next step of being a a true middle-of-the-order bat. And he didn't. And so it's the last year for me that I think he can make good on that. Eventually, you just are what you are in the big leagues, and we have enough on the back of your baseball card to be able to say, okay, he's not a guy that's going to hit cleanup in a really good lineup. He could hit cleanup for a bad team, kind of like in basketball. You could have a guy that scores 25 on a losing content, a losing team, 
but on a quality team, he's probably scoring 10 to 12, right? right. That's Paul DeYoung to me right now. He's the guy that in a uh, in a lineup like the Cardinals can back clean up, but he's not. That's not his optimal usage in a lineup. He probably should be closer to a six hole hitter. And the only benefit for Paul DeYoung, at least for the Cardinals sense, is the fact that he has a huge team friendly contract. Yeah. Like he does not make that much money. So even if he doesn't pan out to be that middle of the order bat, he's still not costing you an arm and a leg to make other moves. And Paul DeYoung, if he's willing, can adjust in the infield if you find a weapon that helps you out. So his contract really helps you out in the sense of you have a little bit more leeway with him rather than maybe, say, a Dexter Fowler or a Matt Carpenter. Like and those, those guys are aren't there. part of your future. Yeah, they're done after this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 314. BK, what are you talking about? Paul DeYoung clearly is not a middle-of-the-order player, and even if he was, the Cardinals still need another big bet. Uh, because you need at least two or three big bats to compete in baseball nowadays. So I, I don't think Paul DeYoung, for what it's worth, like my opinion on the matter, I don't think he's a cleanup hitter for a championship team. I don't think he's going to be that. I think he's an overqualified six-hole hitter that is a really good player that's on a great contract, as you said, and can be a part, a starter, in a really good lineup. I don't think he's a cleanup hitter, though. And this is why I've argued for years now, if you've been listening to me with wheels or now with you and with Jamie, I've been saying this consistently for about four or five years now. They're missing one other guy in that lineup. They're missing somebody else to be in the middle of that order with Paul Goldschmidt or before then with Marcelo Zuna to be able to be that other big bat. But the Cardinal, it doesn't matter what I think. The Cardinals think that he can still project to being that guy. And if they view him that way, then they need to make good on it eventually. They need to see that production. They can't just keep projecting what mm-hmm. he's going to be. And this year's the last year to me. It's like 28, 29 years old. Yeah. Eventually, you've got to produce at the level that they're saying he's going to. So if he doesn't this year, there's options out there of guys next offseason that can. Dexter Fowler, gone. Matt Carpenter, gone. You're going to have some more spots in your lineup that are opening up to where you can add in better production. This is why these questions are so important to get answers to. If Tyler O'Neill or Lane Thomas aren't everyday players, well, now you have an opening in right field next year. Yeah. If Paul DeYoung is not a middle-of-the-order bat, well, whether it be from the outfield or shortstop, third base, wherever, you've got to find somebody that can be that guy. If Dylan Carlson isn't ready to hit in the top three, well, now you've got to fill that hole as well. All of these questions need to be answered so that way next offseason, when hopefully, fingers crossed, God forbid, if they're <laughs> actually able to have fans in the stands, they have the money to go spend to fill the holes that clearly show themselves this upcoming year. And technically, that's the biggest question I think we all should be asking is, are they going to spend? And that's the one that I think everyone assumes no. But when you have those blatant holes, like you just mentioned, they've made moves when they've needed to. Look, they went out and got Marcelo Zuna when they knew they needed a middle-of-the-order bat. They went out and got Paul Goldschmidt when they needed an upgrade at first base. If there's glaring holes that there are no internal fixes, they will go out there and spend the money to give. I hope so. I hope that's true. Um, Maybe that's the optimistic side of me. It is a Friday. (laughs) I've got my fingers crossed that it's true. Sometimes I wonder. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So are the Blues playing in the Central? The Pacific. Who's going to be in the Pacific if the Blues are there? Who's going to be alongside them? We're going to ask Darren Drager. He's a hockey insider for TSN. Hopefully, he'll have some more answers for us. He's going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 
He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll be joined by Darren Drager in about 15 minutes. He had to push it back a little bit. He's working on stuff. You know, hockey insider. Not He's got things going, on, going right on right now. So yeah. he'll be joining us coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But I did want to briefly get into this weekend for Mizzou. And of course, that also includes Illinois Illini fans. I'm not. I'm not taking any shots. <laughs> not slighting. Tomorrow's one of the biggest days for Mizzou athletics in the last seven years. Basically, since 2014, when both Mizzou football and basketball was the last time that they were ranked together, this is probably the biggest day since that year. Reason why I say that is because Georgia is coming to town for the football team. That is a huge game. If Mizzou's able to win that one, I don't think they're going to, but if Mizzou's able to win that one, they suddenly feel like they are having a top 25 type of a season. And basketball, of course, has the Illini in town, a legitimate top 10 to 15 team in the country. Ken Palm has them, I think, as the number 15 team in the country. The rankings have them within the top 10. That is always one of the best games of the year. If you're an Illini fan or a Mizzou fan, you certainly know that. It's a huge weekend, and Eli Drinkwitz is carrying some momentum into the upcoming weekend. Uh, He officially has a top 20 recruiting class. Earlier today, it was announced uh, that a local East St. Louis receiver has officially flipped his commitment. He was committed to Arizona State. He is now going to end up at Mizzou for this upcoming year. He's a four-star player. A four-star player, they now have five four-stars in this upcoming class. It's as much as they've had in the last three classes combined. Drinkwitz has some real momentum, and this weekend, Ferrario, is a massive weekend. If I told you, as a Mizzou fan, you can guarantee the Tigers win one of the two games and they lose the other. You can either win in football against Georgia or win in basketball against Illinois. But again, the other one becomes a loss the moment that you hit this button. Which one are you taking? Ooh, I think I'm taking football. Really? I I am. And look, I am the biggest college basketball fan you will find, and I am the biggest component of local teams continuing to push. But if Mizzou basketball loses to the Fighting Illini, I don't think that does anything, right? Like, because Illinois is a number five school, basketball for Mizzou is going to continue to trend in the right direction. They're probably the best team in the SEC right now because I've seen Kentucky play. They're not that great. But if Mizzou football beats Georgia, that changes everything for Eli Drinkwitz in terms of recruitment. Because you just knocked off Georgia, who's a 13-point favorite. Mm -hmm. Nobody, the biggest Mizzou fan in St. Louis right now, doesn't think the Tigers can beat the Bulldogs. But if they beat Georgia... I think everyone is looking at Mizzou different than what they were this past week with that win over Arkansas, with what they've looked at them since Gary Pinkle. And I don't think if... Mizzou basketball beats Illinois. I don't think that changes any perception because Mizzou is going to be good no matter what. See, uh, here's why you're wrong. (laughs) Okay, I like that. Give it to me. So Mizzou football is already a success. It's already a successful season. They they were not supposed to win this many games. Their over-under on the year was two and a half. They've got Mississippi State next next week to finish off the season on the road. They're probably going to beat Mississippi State, even if they don't. A five and five season is objectively Mm -hmm. a good year for Eli Drinkwitz in year one. And as I just talked about with the recruiting side of things, he's pulling that momentum in together and he's he is rolling it down the road. He is actually maintaining what he built over the summer in terms of the the fanfare for his program. This year was always for him about building a foundation for what his program's going to be in the future. Basketball is a little different for Mizzou right now. Illinois is building that foundation and continuing it, right? They appear to both have a good right now 
and the future looks bright for Illinois. It's not so much the same over on the Mizzou side of things. This is the year. Conzo Martin has to make good on this season. This is what he's been building on for the last two or three years. The guys that are now the leaders of this team, Jeremiah Tillman, Mark Smith, Drew Smith, those guys aren't going to be back next year. They're all juniors and seniors either going into the draft next season, Xavier Pinson, or a lot of them graduating after the year and moving on. If Mizzou doesn't make good on it, there's going to be some serious questions that are asked moving forward about what the ceiling is with Conzo Martin. So for me, this is the year Conzo has to come through. He's got to win this year. Whereas with football, you've already done the winning that you needed to do to make this feel good. So for me, I'm locking in that basketball win and moving forward, feeling really good about what this team's going to be because Illinois is really good. Yeah. And if Mizzou beats Illinois, it'll change the way that I'm projecting them the rest of the year. So let me ask you this then, because if Mizzou, and I think we all can agree right now in college basketball, they are the best team in the SEC. I can't, but who do you think? Who's better? Uh, Tennessee, I think is going to be better. I I think the problem right now is we just haven't seen a lot of them. I guess that's true. Um, um, I think Arkansas might be a little bit better. It's just always Kentucky is the best one. And from what we've seen, Kentucky has not looked good at all. Yeah, Kentucky, I don't think is going to be all that great this year. But at least it's an open floor to where Mizzou can do some damage. How much damage, I guess damage is too extreme of a word, but how much can they improve recruiting wise? Because I haven't really seen that many names in terms of recruitment for Conzo. About basketball? Yeah. I, th- their class is basically signed now. So, so there's not much to be for recruiting. So I'm saying no this because... Room. Eventually, you've got to you've got to take that next step if you're Conzo Martin. So far, the ceiling for him, wherever he's been, has basically been in his good years. He's going to make the tournament. It's going to be a six, seven seed, and he's probably going to lose in the second round. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're able to make a Sweet 16 run. And I'm a fan of Conzo Martin. I mm-hmm. think he's a good coach. But if I'm a Mizzou fan, and this year you're not able to make the tournament and make a little bit of a run, what's the ceiling with? his program moving forward because next year is going to be a down season for Mizzou basketball. They're they're not going to be as good next year as they are this year. You're going to lose most of the talent that you're building around and they're going to start that foundation again for three years from now to hopefully hit another season like what 2020, 2021 is going to be. So for me, they, they need to capitalize on this. It's not for the future. It's for the right now, whereas football is all about the future right now. Does it change the future at all for football if they beat Georgia? It's going. It's trending in the same direction, regardless if you knock off the Bulldogs. Yeah, because signing day for the early signing period is, uh, I think, next Thursday, if I'm not mistaken. It's either Thursday or Friday. Um, I I don't think anything changes recruiting wise. He's already got all of that momentum. Yeah, and we saw it continue earlier today, as I mentioned. But Drinkwitz has the momentum recruiting wise, so I I don't think it changes anything there. I think you're already set up well for the future for football. I think basketball, it's the opposite. So you got to win in the here and now. All right, fine. I see you hate Eli Drinkwitz more than I do. Fine. <laughs> that is, when you're wrong. That is absolutely not the case. You know that I'm all in on the Drinkwitz train. By the way, for Illini fans, it it's very similar for them right now in terms of their basketball program. This is a huge year for them. And I was a massive fan of the Underwood hire whenever it was made. He has been everything they could have asked for and then some. The style is fun as hell to watch. Um, The team has really developed into one of the better squads in all of college basketball. I would not be surprised um, if the Illini end up 
having a really special year and being a elite eight type of a contender. I mean, that that's how good this team potentially is. And they're be. set up for success with that team right now that they've built for the next three years and being competitive every year. Yeah. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Darren Drager, TSN Hockey Insider, is going to join us coming up on the other side. Where does he expect the Blues will be next year in terms of their division? Is it going to be the Pacific? Is it going to be the Central? We'll ask him coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll be joined by Casey Stern of Sirius XM MLB Radio. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so yesterday, he had some strong words about the Cardinals potentially not bringing back Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright. So we'll talk with Casey Stern about that coming up in about 15 minutes. But right now, let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Thrilled to be joined by a man who has been very busy of late. He is Darren Drager, TSN's hockey insider, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Darren, we always appreciate the time man how you doing today yeah i'm doing okay i mean there's lots going on obviously that's great for hockey fans knowing that you know the national hockey league and the players association continue to hammer out the specifics to the start of the 2021 season so looking forward to the resolution of that and uh, having the official news i suspect at some point next week we're looking forward to all of that. Right now, what we've got is a little bit of speculation, and hopefully you can clear something up for us here in St. Louis. So there was the report two days ago, I guess now, that the Blues are going to be in the Pacific Division, and that obviously took a lot of Blues fans by surprise. Last night, we saw a report that it looked like Minnesota and Dallas were going to flip, and I was like, okay, uh, so what's this mean for the Blues? Darren, yeah. as of where we are today, what can you tell Blues fans about which division you expect this team to play in next year well i i wish i had a definitive answer and i don't because there's a lot of back and forth uh, i think the initial alignment uh, and the realignment of the four divisions that was uh, disclosed and reported on earlier this week is pretty accurate so i haven't heard anything related to the st louis blues that suggests that uh, their position is going to change but i i i I almost want to qualify it by saying that, look, there's a lot that can change. And you're right. The speculation of Minnesota and Dallas uh, flipping. There's some talk of, you know, maybe Pittsburgh and Carolina flipping. Um, you know, all of that remains highly speculative and subject to change. So I wish I had a clear cut answer where I could tell your Blues fans that, okay, <laughs> they are moving or they are staying in the Pacific. But I don't just yet. And, and to be fair, um, you know, I, I think all NHL teams are are looking at the realignment, and some of them are fine with the position that they're in, while others obviously aren't okay with it. So we may not have uh, a clear-cut vision of what the four divisions specifically are going to look like, again, until next week because of the fact that there's so much work that they have to get through. But I... I got a funny feeling that not a lot is going to change with St. Louis, but we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, Darren, that's kind of where I wanted to go next with this, and I know this is behind closed door, closed doors, so it is kind of speculation, but why do you think there has been so much flipping with these realigning divisions? Is it more owner side yeah. that aren't happy with where they are, or is it more kind of television sides that go into it? Well, it could be a little of both, but you know, the one thing that I've learned over the years in covering the National Hockey League, um, you know, owners and managers are incredibly selfish. And <laughs> I say that, I say that in as 
um, non-critical a way as I possibly can because I get it, right? Your job as a manager, president, or owner of an NHL franchise is to do whatever you can to put your club in its best position to have success, right? So, you know, I, I would bet that a good number of NHL executives hadn't seen any of the realignment information before it hit the media and was tweeted out. And that's a tough thing to digest. Now, we know that there was a board call earlier this week, uh, I believe on Wednesday. So some of that could have been discussed. But all of a sudden, you're looking down at this, and you're like, well, geez, I don't like that. And might be better for us if we were over here from a competitive aspect of qualifying for the playoffs. So, again, by virtue of, of their jobs, you know, the managers and the presidents and the club owners who aren't happy with what the initial matrix of the alignment looked like uh, probably campaigned. And I can understand why they'd want to do that. The funny thing, Darren, we're talking to Darren Drager of TSN. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. The funny thing about the blue situation is from everything we've heard, it sounds like there's a little bit of a disconnect between the fan base and the team itself, because the fan base, obviously, their biggest concern is, man, these games are going to be late when we're trying to watch them here in St. Louis. Yeah. Meanwhile, everything yeah. we're hearing from the players and the ownership group or the front office it sounds like they're not so against playing in the Pacific, both for competitive reasons and because, you know, playing in Vegas and L.A. Right. and Arizona doesn't sound so bad in the winter. So what are you hearing from that side of things? Yeah, again, it depends on who you talk to, right? Um, you know, could the travel be a bit of a problem? Yeah, maybe eventually. Uh, the time shift in terms of the zones could that be a problem? Yeah, to some degree. But at the end of the day, you know, every owner, again, every manager, I shouldn't have to keep saying this, but I'm going to, <laughs> everybody associated with every team, they just want to go where they feel they're going to have the, the best opportunity to win. Bottom line, period. And I'm not suggesting that it's weaker in the Pacific Division. Um, I mean, you look at some of the teams that they may have to play against. I mean, you're talking about top-quality teams here. Uh, and if it is 56 games, as we believe that it is, there's not going to be a lot of wiggle room there. You know, you can't afford to have a three-game or a five-game slide at any point of that regular season, no matter who you are. But the one thing that I learned in this entire process, and I'm talking the pandemic, COVID-19 here, um, and, and it came from both sides, the League and the Players Association, prior to the return to play initially in the summer, was that there has to be sacrifice. It's not going to be perfect. Somebody isn't going to like the situation that they're in. That most definitely can be applied to the experiences of the return to play, especially for the players who are in the bubble for as long as they were. You know, small sacrifice. Tampa Bay loved it. They hoisted the Stanley Cup. But I'm going to fast forward to where we're at today, and I'm going to apply that same logic. It's not going to be perfect for every club. It just can't be. So everybody's going to have to suck it up and accept whatever level of sacrifice they need to. So, Darren, what's the next step for fans to pay attention to? Because we hear January 13th, and of course, that's still not written down in permanent marker yet. We don't know if that's the concrete yeah. date that the NHL is going to start. So what's the next steps for fans to pay attention to before they know NHL's coming back? 
Yeah, well, that for sure. You know, they've got to hammer out uh, the critical dates details. And, you know, you're talking about for the for the seven non-playoff teams, is it December 31st? Is it earlier that they can get the head start to training camp? If it's January 13th, and there are many fellows who are very skeptical of January 13th, but not to a point where, you know, it's going to be February 1st. But, you know, if if... If the board hasn't voted on everything, transition rules, protocol, um, the schedule, number of games, all of that by the middle of next week, then it's going to turn problematic. You know, and they're wrestling with the states and with the provinces here in Canada over quarantining issues and all of that. So if we can get to early next week and, you know, the understanding is that they're very close to completing all of that, going through all the protocols, and there should be a board vote by the middle of next week, then for me, that that's a great indicator that January 13th is viable as a target date for the launch of 2021. Darren Drager joining us here on 101 ESPN. Drags, one of the other big questions moving forward is going to be what happens with this COVID vaccine, right? And last night, G- yeah. John Shannon tweeted out uh, that the NHL is planning the private purchase of a COVID ba- vaccine for all constituents yeah. involved in the potential upcoming season. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Um, what What do you think would be the timeline on something like that? Well, yeah, a timeline, we're not sure. Although, again, the good news is that it, it sounds like it's going to be sooner rather than later, and it's going to have to be for the National Hockey League or, or for pro sports in, in general. Um, there was lots of backlash, and ethically I can understand that to, to Shannon's tweet, um, but... I can also understand why the National Hockey League would be investigating uh, whether or not there is private sale of the COVID-19 vaccine. Why wouldn't they? As long as the NHL, and again, I'm going to expand to pro sports, aren't jumping the queue and jumping ahead of frontline workers or the vulnerable or society in general. If the NHL wants to dole out millions of dollars because there is private sale vaccine available, knock your socks off go ahead as long as it 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 doesn't get in the way of the people that need it more and i don't think that the nhl would ever position themselves in that fashion but specifically the vaccine guys it's going to be interesting to me um as and this has to be discussed as part of the return protocols here um we know that testing was mandated in return to play and and will continue here in 2021 But does the National Hockey League have the authority or is it just common sense that they make the vaccine mandatory as well? And then again, you get into the ethics of that, right? Um, and and from a player standpoint, you guys know. I mean, these guys are well-oiled machines, mm-hmm. finely tuned. I mean, they know and measure everything that goes into their body, and I, I, I doubt that every NHL player is going to put his hand up and say, "Yep, give me the vaccine, <laughs> let's go, I'm ready." You know, there could be some pushback, and I'm I'm curious to see how that's going to be handled between the league and the union. So that's interesting, then, Darren. Do you see that being a a roadblock for the NHL returning on January 13th, then, because that does have to be approved upon before they can decide that we're coming back officially? No, nah, I don't know that it would be a roadblock, um, but I would look at it as a, the potential of a contentious issue. Uh, it, ha- it hasn't been discussed yet. Um, you know, at, at, in length anyway, between the two sides, but they're going to have to get to that. And the other one is opt-out, right? Um, you know, players and, and team personnel 
had an opt-out option going into return to play. And we know that there are a number of players. Travis Hammock would probably top the list of, of uh, players who decided that they weren't going to engage. He didn't play with the Calgary Flames mm-hmm. in the playoffs. That language is also being discussed. So those are two things that maybe the hockey fan doesn't consider, right? Because, you know, we're more interested in the number of games. What's the schedule <laughs> going to look like? What division are the St. Louis Blues playing in and, and all of that? But those two things that we've just talked about, the opt-out and the vaccine, 100% matter to the players and, and to the NHL. So that's part of what they're going to have to hammer out in the days ahead. Final question for you, Drager. Uh, for for these division realignments, do you think there's like a a firm date where they need to have this decided by? Like, are, are we going to know news for sure in the next week or two as to which divisions these teams are in? Yeah, yeah, we will. Uh, and th- that's going to have to get absolutely ironed out before there's a Board of Governors vote. And uh, the expectation is, as I said earlier, that board vote could be early next week. I'd be surprised if it goes beyond Wednesday. Uh, Again, a ton of work that has to get done. But the reason why the Board of Governors are voting in the first place is because of the realignment and the four divisions. So um, we're talking days here. We're not talking weeks. And uh, it would be better for everyone if they get it all figured out by this weekend would be terrific. Uh, (laughs) Early next week would be okay. He's Darren Drager. You can find his work over on TSN in Canada. You can also follow him on Twitter at Darren Drager. Dregs, we always appreciate the time, man. I know you're an unbelievably busy man. Thanks so much for carving out a little bit of time to hop on with us to tell the Blues where their team's going to be playing, (laughs) hopefully, next year. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for having me, and stay safe. Absolutely. That's Darren Drager here on 101 ESPN. So I think the biggest thing there, he fully expects that by next Wednesday or so-ish, we should have a definitive answer on this. Based on what we've heard over the last 24 hours, Ferrario, are you kind of leaning towards it feels like the Blues are for sure going to be in the Pacific Division? Yeah, now even more than hearing what Darren's saying that it seems pretty certain that the Blues are going to stay in that Pacific because look, the only two teams that have flipped have been Minnesota and Dallas, which to me screams both of those teams' organizations are saying, no, we don't want to play in that that Pacific Division, whereas the Blues haven't come out and said anything, they haven't flipped. So yeah, right now, and especially if they had to decide before Wednesday, it sure as heck would seem that the Pacific is where the Blues are going to be playing. Hearing Joey say earlier today with Carriker and Smallman, you can find that podcast, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's presented by I Promise. Hearing say earlier today that the players would like yeah. to be in the Pacific and reading Jeremy Rutherford's report last night that the Blues front office ownership group is not totally opposed to playing in the Pacific as well. It feels to me like this might be one of those situations where they're like, you know what? We don't care. No. Put us where you want. There are some silver linings to playing out west this year. Um, better weather. It, there's not as much travel this year probably as there typically would be in a season because it's right. going to be the baseball series mm-hmm. types of situation. I I wouldn't be surprised if the Blues are just saying like, okay, we'll, we'll play in L.A. and Arizona, San Jose. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll make this work, and we'll, we'll figure out what the future holds whenever we get there. And real quick, Darren made it clear when he said that these teams, they know what they're doing. They picked the Pacific Division. 
because the Blues know that that's a division that they can compete with, and I think that's why the players told Joey they want to play in that division because they match up so well. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Casey Stern of SiriusXM MLB Network Radio said yesterday he can't believe that the Cardinals don't have anything done yet with Yadier Molina or Adam Wainwright. He's going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. So yesterday, just hanging out at my house, my buddy texts me. He says, hey, did you hear what Casey Stern said on Sirius XM MLB Network Radio? I said, no, I didn't. What do you do? So, man, he is really getting after the Cardinals for this Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright situation. So let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by Casey Stern of Sirius XM MLB Network. Always appreciate his time. Casey, how you doing today, my friend? It's been way too long. BK, doing well. Always good to chat with you. And, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, this time at least we only have uh, one spring training, not a summer camp. <laughs> and, uh, and things can go normal because I, I was beginning to get confused if it became winter <laughs> Are we playing in Buffalo in April? I, I, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully things die down and we can, you know, not see, as I said on the air yesterday, Emmett Smith in an Arizona Cardinal <laughs> uniform or like Joe Montana with the Chiefs. And we, you know, Adam Wainwright with the White Sox, Yadier Molina with whoever. Hopefully we don't get there. Yeah, well, uh, as long as we're not going to replacement players, Casey, and we can actually yeah, just see God. some normal baseball, oh, that's God. all I really care about right now. Well, I mean, considering I think I think Flaherty pitched, it seemed like it was once the whole year, but I think it was <laughs> in three weeks. I mean, you know, in a division where seemingly everyone is like hot potato, you take it, no, you take it, and, and the Pirates are there too. Um, you know, it, which is why here we go again, another off season where it seems to be on the platter for the Cardinals, and we'll see whether or not, especially during the uh, COVIDing of the finances, uh, they spend money. All right, Casey, let's get into this. Um, you were talking yesterday about the situation with Yachty and Wayno. I want to get your thoughts on this. Are you surprised that this isn't already done? I mean, we're we're two weeks from Christmas now, and there's really no news as to whether or not they're going to be back in a Cardinals uniform next year. Yeah, I mean, it is weird. And, you know, I talked to Wayno the day that he uh, got the Clemente honor, which I, it was late last week and early this week. And I forget, because really every day with COVID, kind of the same. <laughs> we're all in the house. Um, and you know, he, he very candidly was surprised, didn't think they'd get here, but as he said, and this is not, you know, necessarily great news for Cardinal fans, but you understand, obviously we know how well he pitched last year. He said, you know, it's nice being, you know, flirted with a bit. There've been some calls from teams and, you know, he's talked to Yachty and Yachty's getting calls from teams and, you know, to let it get out to this is it's just sad. I mean, it reminds me of, and it was at a bigger level because John Lester was, in a, a better point in his career with a lot more to go, but we're talking about a guy who won a world series and beat cancer and was great in the community in Boston. And they had severely lowballed him at a much higher dollar amount, but it, it either way kind of put things in, you know, almost an arbitration mode of, wait a minute, maybe you don't think I'm as good as I think I've been for you kind of a scenario. And those things never, they just never go well. I mean, I think back to this past weekend in football, Malcolm Jenkins, right, talking about playing the Eagles and how they never respected him because they didn't, didn't pay him. This is not a pool situation where if you were to put outside of moral and religious and family issues, name the things you wouldn't do for the $50 million extra he got. I guarantee you move to Anaheim wouldn't be one of them as much as I don't like the traffic there. So, you know, <laughs> we're talking about $5 million probably, the Colton Wong money, because what is Yachty probably looking at? What, maybe one for 10 with an option? 
And you, you've got to think if he feels like he's that disrespected, you kind of almost feel like maybe they offered half of that. I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that this is even happening. They shouldn't have even been free agents. And I think the Cardinals messed this one up pretty bad. So, Casey, here's where I'm at on this now in free agency. And maybe you could steer me in the other direction. But it's gotten to the point where, look, we all saw how bad this offense was last season for St. Louis. And with everything they're stating, not wanting to spend pretty much any money this offseason – does it make more sense to find an upgrade somewhere offensively than to bring back Yadi and Ueno? Well, you know, here's the thing. I mean, it, it depends. Are you thinking long-term or short-term? Because here's the thing. Short-term, first of all, this division's not running away from you with or without them or with or without anyone else. Because the Pirates are we, the Pirates, right? The Cubs, <laughs> they're, they're trying to still convince us, I mean, how many years they've been a trade guys. I mean, it's like, it's like these are like threats. No, I'm really leaving this time. <laughs> but it does, it does seem like they're going to do it, right? So they're going the other way. The Reds which I would be really ticked off if I'm a Reds fan. You spent five years doing all of this, you know, everywhere, seemingly growth, growth, growth. And I get you're going to lose Bauer, but the way they handled Bradley's very cheap money and Iglesias, I mean, I think they're punting. I think Sonny Gray will get traded for sure. So they're not going to be an issue. It's going to be the Cardinals and Brewers fighting for this division either way. And you already know that. That's a built-in excuse for the franchise. But I would say this. Rather than overspending for a lot of years of a player who maybe you feel doesn't deserve it in a year where you don't have a lot of finances, do one-year deals with these guys, but give them an AAV that's nice. It comes off your books. Owners don't care about that because it's not so much just about this calendar year. It's about overall now what they're trying to get back. You'd rather give one year and feel like you paid a little bit more for guys like Molina and Wainwright who deserve it, right? for what they've been, tip the cap and have that last game, you know, as battery mates at some point, then give it to somebody for four years and overpay. James McCann, I mean, look, the Mets have a lot of money, and clearly they want to spend it, and they've been talking about a four-year deal seemingly for four years. It seems like that long. And the fact that it's holding up tells you that even McCann in this spot has enough teams in on him, like the Angels, for example, who we know, maybe cards others, that he feels like, he, he maybe, I don't know, what does he want, a fifth year? Does he want more <laughs> AAV? I, I'd rather pay Yachty $10 million, right, for one year. Uh, and it's not the devil you know, it's the Hall of Famer you know. Then go give four years. And I think McCann's a good player, but I don't want to overpay him because he's saying to everybody, hey, look, it's either me or you pay Real Muto all those bucks. Don't get baited in. Don't get cornered. Bring both these guys back. The other thing, we're talking with Casey Stern, hosted on Sirius XM MLB Network Radio, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Casey, I don't think there's anything that the Cardinals realistically will do this offseason that will make them into a World Series contender. I just I don't know that they're going to be able to bridge the gap between them and the Dodgers, for instance. Right. But like you said, you can still win the division. And with Yachty and Wayno back next year, you give the fans an opportunity to say goodbye the proper way with them actually being able to hopefully be in the stands. And I like, are, are you bringing in Jock Peterson and that's going to bridge the gap between you and the Dodgers? I, I just don't think so. And so if that's what the goal is, is just to win the Central, win 90 games or so, get to the playoffs and then hopefully really start competing again in 2022. It feels like that to me is the best route for everything, for competitiveness and for you to move forward after this upcoming year. Well, yeah, look, I agree. And there's two ways to look at it, I think. And I'm with you. The way I look at it is we've got a winnable division, right? And then anything can happen. We do have one of the best pitchers in baseball, right? We've seen weirder things. Like the, the, the season a couple of years ago where I sat there and, and it was one of the longest days of my career watching that 10-run inning and all that other nonsense. But, I, I mean, you sit there and you, 
you look at that team, that team for half that regular season looked terrible. Won a division somehow, um, albeit with a Rosarena who then was just a, a videographer. We don't talk about him. <laughs> and not a player. I don't know who you're uh, talking about there, Casey. He doesn't exist but, anymore. But think, but think about that team. I mean, you had Dex striking out every time he comes up. Paul Goldschmidt, I don't think he ever in his life like struck out seven times in a row. So, so this division can put you in a spot. I look at it and I say, that's why you tweak, you add, and you make sure you do it. Don't be surprised if the Cardinals say, well, we're already right there. And since it is so winnable, it's probably only two teams. Well, if we need something in July, we can add it, which is a cop-out. But don't be surprised if they actually use that to their advantage. And one thing I would say is, you look at the Braves, who have really look. They've Braves have made a lot of money, and then they've kind of not put it back into the team. I think the first year with the new park, they made like four hundred and some odd million dollars, put seventeen back into payroll. But they love one-year deals. Why? Because they're gone. There's a guy who we're not sure if there's a DH yet in the National League, but if there is, named Nelly Cruz, who can give you Ozuna kind of numbers for one year left of his own swan song. And go hit in your lineup with Goldschmidt, go hit 40 homers. So there are options for them, I think, guys, on short-term deals if they're willing to spend money in terms of AAV and, and not give the long contract. If they won't even give any kind of you know, value whatsoever, uh, then, then you might be looking at, again at another season where it seems like they score a run a week and they're saving them for a rainy day for some reason. I'm not sure. All right, Casey. So I'm going to put you in the uh, John Mozeliak position then because I think we all can agree that this is kind of a transitional year, not just for the Cardinals, but a lot of teams in the NL Central. How do you turn this team into a competitor with a team like the Dodgers and the Braves with this roster that they have moving forward? Do I get to listen to me years ago when I was yelled at here about the carpenter and I remember and that paying the money? Or I, okay, never mind. No, we'll no, you can that. do that because well, I'm yelling about it too. I'm yeah, yelling about it too, fans Casey. Are with you now, uh, Casey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, look, I, I think if if I'm if I'm Mo and, and it's look owners, it's their money, right? So we have to understand. I always I said about Alex Antopoulos when he came in. To the Braves, I mean, it's like you know, giving Dale Earnhardt Jr. like a, a you know a Toyota Camry or a Nissan Altima and saying, "Hey, go win Daytona." <laughs> like you can't, you, like you have to give them money. Like Sandy Alderson probably can't even. I, I with his health, I hope his heart rate's not going crazy when he's in these meetings. He's used to spending no money with the A's or the Mets. And Steve Cohen's like, "Here, have a few million. <laughs> like you, you have to be, I think, smart in the decisions you make. That's where really they've had their biggest issues." If you don't give Brett Cecil for, I can't, I, you will, I mean, honestly, Jedi mind tricks must be the only thing I could think of. <laughs> he got $27 million. But if you, if you do that, then you have to go try things like Holland, who's hurt and otherwise, right? So don't make a, any frivolous decisions. Be smart. If a Blake Trinan is available to help build up the bullpen and you can get better somewhere and, and have two or three guys who can close, go ahead and do that. Right, because you've got some chameleons in there who could start or be in, in relief. If you get an opportunity to go get, you know, an infielder, because I, I didn't say outfielder, because you have 417 of them by you <laughs> that they have to choose. You know, to me, you got to get the defense back. That's the thing I'd worry about. You guys would know the pulse of it more than I would, being close to it. But I'm watching Colton Wong, and I'm like, wasn't the move to defense part of what turned things around? The guy won two gold gloves. Christian Yelich didn't hit in 60 games. It's people really, I mean, you're really freaking out about, about Wong's offense. So for $5 million, that was real curious to me. And, and it worries me because I do think it's very possible that the Cardinals do nothing and say, hey, look, 
we're going to be in this division race anyway. Everyone's going the other direction. It's us and the Brewers. And look, the Brewers are really maximizing with not a lot of talent either outside of Yelich. So I'm hopeful for the Cardinal fans. I think they deserve it. The one thing I've always said is you can't go into all these press conferences like when they fired coaches and then Matheny and others and say, we, we know we need to win. We know we need to be better. And then not follow through by making your team better. And okay. when you let Ozuna walk that way and do things like that, you're not making your team better. Casey, I can tell you, uh, after having listened to God only knows how much John Mozeliak audio <laughs> over the last, I guess, four weeks now, they ain't spinning. Yep. They ain't spinning. <laughs> I, I, they, he said pretty plainly yesterday, I guess, or two days ago now on the Zoom call, their payroll will be lower than it was a year ago. So I'm with you on the Colton Wong decision. I was frankly surprised by it and still yeah. think that he would be a guy that, like, if you're looking at the open market right now, if you're looking for infielders that can make this team better, it's Colton Wong who makes this team better because he's got the high on base percentage is great defensively and helps your pitching. I just don't think they're going to spend that way. So we've all kind of turned our attention to the 2021 free agent class where you've got all those shortstops available and we're just hoping and praying that they spend then we've kind of almost moved on to what the, what they're going to do this off season. We're just hoping that they bring back Yachty and Wayno at this point. I mean, think about this. You mentioned shortstops. Here's the crazy part, right? And I've always thought the infield here is, has always been the problem, trying to move around too many parts. I mean, the outfielders is a different issue. They really, I mean, they need to have some kind of a bachelor vote somebody off the island kind of a deal or get a rose or I don't know what. Um, but I, I, not in a rose arena, but a rose. Sorry, I had to go there. Two for two. Um, but, it, yeah, I'm practicing because when I go on the air, now I'll, I'll be awake because it's like my, my pregame. Um, but I, I, I always felt like, if we're Justin Turner, right? When he was a free agent before the last deal, I thought that that was the guy they should have pinpointed because you can't be moving people around to try and fit Carpenter in, right? You have to try and get your defense better up the middle. DeYoung's been much improved, obviously, but Francisco Lindor is sitting out there. It's a one-year deal, and, you know, look, the Cardinals have the money to resign. But isn't it funny? The Cardinals have no money, and then it's like, of all people, Giancarlo Stanton's available. Well, we'll, we'll take that, that $300 million. <laughs> Jason Hayward, we're going to offer him $200 million. They offered him $16 million more than the Cubs. The best move that they've made in years is, is somehow the karma of after they sent that deal out, saying, don't accept, don't accept, don't accept. <laughs> um, but I, I think Lindor is, is easy to get, guys. I mean that. I mean, when you look at the Indians, they actually, ironically, they need outfielders. They have zero I mean, look at their outfield is, is decrepit. They don't have anyone. And when you think about some of the names that you have, now look, it's going to hurt because it's only a year. But when you've got so many teams going the other way, can you imagine if Lindor was on this team? Yeah. You know you got the money to keep him. Why not take a shot at it? I can't Why imagine not? it. We're going to be talking to Zach Mizell coming up at 1230. Uh, so, yeah, we can definitely, <laughs> of the athletic Cleveland, we can definitely imagine what he would look like here. I just, Casey, I keep coming back to it, and I've been told this by enough smart people that cover the team they're not spending. And so that $20 million, I know it's a one-year deal, and we can all agree on the outside looking in that they have money, it is there, it exists, and it's a one-year deal. It, they don't seem to care. They don't view it the same way, and ultimately I, get, I guess that's what matters. So um, I've got my fingers crossed. I, I, at this point, Casey, my ideal offseason for the Cardinals is bring back Yachty, bring back Wayno, and sign one power bat. I don't even care who it is at this point. But if I put you in charge, Casey, last thing for you, if I put you in John Mo's Zaylock's shoes and I said you have five million dollars to go out to the market to upgrade this offense that's it you got five million dollars to bring in somebody 
who would you look at out on the open market right now that you think can help this team offensively? A good choice of therapist. Because I mean, it's not enough. <laughs> I would, and then I would probably offer to Colton Wong, <laughs> just like go for the five million dollars. I mean, yeah. Look, Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina should both finish there. You guys both know. Look, think back to like when the COVID, you know, experience first began, and it was like the Ricketts and the Dewitts, like families. They, like we got to pay for their electric to keep it on. I mean, come on now, come on, people, come on. He's Casey Stern. Find him over on Twitter at his name, Casey Stern. You can hear him each and every day over on Sirius XM MLB Network Radio. He is fantastic. Casey, we always appreciate the time, man. All the best to you and your family. If we don't talk to you beforehand, happy holidays, and we'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Always a pleasure. Be well. Best to your families and all your listeners as well. Absolutely. That's Casey Stern joining us here on 101 ESPN. That guy is the absolute best. Always appreciate him hopping on with us. Let's talk about this on the other side, Ferrario, because he makes an interesting point about Yachty and Wayno. And I think one thing that I heard from him there makes me feel all the more that it, they just got to make sure that this gets done, especially given the way that we think that this offseason is going to go. We'll talk about that on the other side here on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Trying to find a way to have them back, but also trying to find a way to improve the team. And and these are difficult challenges. And so, you know, hopefully as we as we get into December or really into January, we obviously get some clarity on their situation, you know, still allowing us to look at other ways we can can make our club better. The onus is on us, and, you know, we're certainly going to keep trying. That was John Mosellock on Fox Sports Midwest last night, talking with them about what the future holds for both Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. Ferrario talking with uh, Casey Stern moments ago, hearing John Mosellock over the last couple of days, it doesn't exactly give me a whole lot of warm, fuzzy feelings if I'm a Cardinals fan about what this offseason holds. And we we knew that going into this, right? We knew that it was going to be a rough offseason, but the fact that it almost feels to me like we as fans might be looking at this wondering, okay, are the Cardinals about to have to make a decision between improving this roster from the outside looking in and with an external player or being able to bring back both Yachty and Wayno? That feels like a question that shouldn't have to be answered. Like you shouldn't have to decide between those two things. It should be able to have both coincide. But it, I, I don't know that that's going to be the case. It, it almost feels like it's it's going to be one or the other. You can either bring back both of these guys or we can bring back one and add a bat from the outside. And I just don't think they're going to hedge on adding a bat from the outside because all they have continued to say this offseason, John Mozeliak being the one saying it, is they got to upgrade their offense because they know how bad they were. And you can't bring back Yadi and Wayno and then argue, well, our offense is going to be better this season because it's the same roster. Regardless if you want to tell us that Lane Thomas didn't play and Justin Williams hasn't gotten his shot and you have Montero and Sosa, you can't sell that to the Cardinals fans and not add a bat. So it does feel like that it's one or the other. But then you got to take the salary into consideration. And we talked about this yesterday, BK. If you're already sitting at 140 and you're less than you, you have said John Mozeliak being 175 was last year and we're going to be lower than and that this year. 150 right now. 150 yeah. right now. So you would imagine that you're not going above 160, 
right? Like, I mean, you're not going to get close you're, to 175. We know that the ceiling for what the Cardinals are going to be at this year, this, the absolute ceiling, because he has made it very clear, John Mozeliak has, the Cardinals will not go above what their payroll was a year ago, and that was yeah. at 175. And so he that's is, the ceiling. And he has said it's going to be less than that. So and you're already at the floor, which is 150. Yeah. Without uh, moving on from anybody else, there's really no way to do so right now, or at least it doesn't seem like it. You're at 150. You have $20 million to spend right. at, at most right now. And like it or not, $10 million of that is going to be Yadier Molina. I mean, it's going to be at least ten million. He's not going to be taking any less than that. So you add Wainwright on top of that, which is going to be somewhere between five to ten million as well. That's your twenty million, and you haven't upgraded offensively. So yeah, to me, everything, all of the tea leaves, all of the breadcrumbs have said that it's going to be one or the other, and it's going to be a bad offensively. Yeah, it, it stinks, man. Um, I, I wish that it wasn't this way. It's a terrible offseason to be able to be or to have to be put in this position. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 618. Wait a second. The Cardinals are at $150 million right now with their payroll? Yeah. That's this is arbitration guys. This is what we've talked so much about in recent months is when you have guys like uh, Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter and Andrew Miller, like these contracts individually don't crush you. $18 million for Dexter Fowler isn't crushing you. $18 million for Miles Michaelis isn't crushing you. $12 million for Andrew Miller, not crushing you. You can still do all of these different things individually. The problem is when you have them all together, when you eventually get all of these kind of middle of the pack types of numbers where you're between 10 and $20 million for these players, well, now you've got some significant contracts that are guaranteed salaries on your books and you add them up and it's like, OK, wait a second. We're paying more this year for Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter than the Phillies are for Bryce Harper. We're paying more this year for those two combined than the Rockies are for Nolan Arenado. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because if you look at the production for Dexter Fowler and Matt Carpenter or go even easier, Andrew Miller and Matt Carpenter, 30 million dollars there. Those two guys do not add up to be anywhere near the production or the player that Nolan Arenado is. So this is what I've always argued against for the Cardinals is paying those types of players. Instead, go out there and get the studs, get the guys that, you know, are going to be really, really, really productive for the lifetime of that contract. It's why I really liked the Paul Goldschmidt deal. You know that guy's amazing, and he's going to be amazing. So $25 million, a lot of money. That's a lot easier to stomach than $18 million for Dexter Fowler, Matt Carpenter, Miles Michaelis, or the $12 million that you gave out to Andrew Miller. Who, in the Cardinals' defense, look, the only one that you question is Andrew Miller. I, I mean, you, I questioned the Matt Carpenter deal. I questioned it, but you go back in time, and the guy was hitting 35 home runs for you. And I know it was in a short sample size, but he was consistently a presence for you in the batting order in his career up to that point. Now you're paying a lot of money for a guy that's aging and a guy that hasn't had the track record of Paul Goldschmidt. But at the time, I think a lot of organizations would probably do the same thing. I don't think so. Uh, He was 33 years old at the time. He had already shown signs of slippage. He finished that year with a 225 batting average. Uh, I know batting average isn't the end-all be-all, but his OPS plus was 92. He was a 10% below a league average hitter that season. We've gone back and forth on this a million times. I disagreed with the deal at the time. I was surprised that they did it. It is what it is. There's nothing we can do about it now. Um, But those are the types of contracts that they gave out that ultimately got them into the the situation they're in now. If If you didn't give out that contract to Carpenter, the reason why I wouldn't have done it, is because you already had him under contract for another year. You gave it to him a year early. And now you look at this offseason, right? If you hadn't given out that extension, 
Well, what does $18 million do? It probably gets you both Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina back. And now we're talking about the other $20 million. Maybe you don't have to let go of Colton Wong, or you can use that $10, $15 million. You can go get a really good bat. You could go get Nelson Cruz if they're a DH. So it just, it did end up preventing them from spending, even though it it didn't feel like it was going to at the time. Here's the biggest thing too, that everyone says, says that the Cardinals aren't going to spend any money. And the track record proves that. But the one thing they will have in their favor for them to spend money next off season is they're going to have holes. Fowler's going to open up a hole, which I know you get all these outfielders, but I think you'll learn a little bit more from some of these guys. Carpenter opens up a hole in the infield without having Colton Wong and Gorman Montero might not be ready for that. So it might force the Cardinals hands because they know that they have to fill a void. And you just hope that they don't fill that void by re-signing one of those and guys. And they will spend money. Let's be fair. They just top hope it's top 10 on the in right payroll. Person. It's top 10 in payroll over the last, like I think it's each of the last like five years. They've been top 10. They're spending it's just they're not spending in the way that Cardinals fans maybe would like, prefer them to. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, speaking of spending money, I don't think the Cardinals are going to do it. Neither are the Indians. What's going to happen with Francisco Lindor? Is there any chance whatsoever that the Cardinals could be a match in a trade for him? We'll talk with Zach Mizell of The Athletic Cleveland when he, when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Excited to be joined by Zach Mysell, Indians beat writer for the athletic Cleveland. I think we've got a couple of questions that we could probably ask him. There might be a player or two that are of interest to Cardinals fans. Zach's always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? I'm doing well, fellas. How are you? Uh, Doing all right. So I think there's a player of note from Cleveland uh, that may or may not be available on the trade market right now. What can you tell us in terms of where the Indians are right now with their trade conversations for Francisco Lindor? Oh, I I thought you guys wanted Oscar Mercado back. (laughs) No, no, we're good on that one. That was one of the good decisions the Cardinals made in the outfield in recent years. Um, yeah, so it's weird because the Indians have this franchise player who, even though he didn't have a great 2020, he checks every box, right? I mean, he's got just the the charisma of, of a guy you want to put on banners and posters and on your scoreboard. He's got gold glove defense at shortstop. He can hit home runs. He can hit for average. He can steal some bases. He doesn't strike out much. He's hit leadoff. He's hit cleanup. Um, he's everything you'd want if you're a general manager, if you're the director of your marketing department, if you're an owner, if you're a, a paying customer. And yet the Indians are kind of desperate to unload him, and they don't have a ton of leverage here. So there's a few reasons for that. Number one is he only has one year remaining on his, his contract. He's going to make somewhere in the vicinity of $20 million next season, and nobody knows if he'll sign long-term. He had some talks with the Indians in the spring. It never reached a point where I think either side thought something was actually going to happen. He said the Indians never reached the $300 million mark. I don't know if that's the magic number for him or what, but because of that, if you're a team looking to acquire him, you don't know if you're going to get him for one year or if you have a chance at getting him for eight, nine, 10 years. So there's obviously a big difference in what you would give up to acquire a player of that caliber for those different lengths of time. And I think because of all those reasons, and because this is a weird off season where teams are kind of just dipping their toes in the water, a little hesitant, 
Not sure what 2021 will look like from a fans in the stands standpoint, from a is there going to be a 162-game schedule standpoint, can we spend some money standpoint. All of those factors make the Indians the team that's acting out of desperation, which usually isn't the case when you're the team holding on to the star player. So I think the first question that a lot of teams ask and a lot of fans ask, Zach, is what's the uh, what's the return going to have to be for a team that's trying to, to acquire Francisco Lindor? And uh, right now, you know, you talked about the contract kind of situation of it's the one year or is it can he sign the extension? But what do you think Cleveland is looking for? Are they looking for a King's ransom or are they just looking to get rid of this money? No, I mean, they, they want talent in return. This won't be a salary dump, um, but it's not going to be, you know, I feel like 10, 15 years ago, you could trade a star player like this, even with one year left on his deal and, and get a team's top three prospects back. That's not going to happen here. They would love to get maybe one young pre-arbitration position player and then a decent prospect or two. I think the thing that's going to make this difficult is – like the Indians, what's crazy is they still think they can contend even after making this trade. I mean, they develop pitching like none other. So they, they think that'll help their case. They've still got Jose Ramirez. They definitely have some holes to fill offensively, but they would like to address some of that in this trade. So they're looking for youth more than anything. Um, and if they can get one major leaguer and, and maybe a minor leaguer or two, I think that would be ideal the other thing that they'll probably try to convince teams to do is if they can attach a starting pitcher to Francisco Lindor, maybe that smooths things over. It eases the burden of just the risk a team would take on not knowing if they'll have Lindor beyond 2021. Okay, so I'm curious, and just to follow up with this one, Zach, because if Cleveland's moving on from Francisco Lindor, and you just mentioned possibly adding a pitcher to that as well, What's the future look like for Jose Ramirez? Because Cleveland is a team that looks like they're ready to just kind of start from the bottom and work their way up again. And Ramirez, of course, very cost controlled right now, but he's going to cost just the same amount of money in a couple of years as Lindor is. So I know a lot of people think this is signaling a rebuild. Really, they've already been doing that. I mean, they traded Trevor Bauer. They traded Corey Kluber. They traded Mike Clevenger. What is to their credit, they haven't really, I mean, I, they're right. I know it was a 60 game season. They still won 35 games. They had a, a good enough winning percentage to, to get a playoff spot. I mean, it, it's like, because they're so good at developing pitching, I think that prevents them from doing the full tear down. Like we've seen teams like the Cubs and the Astros, the Tigers and the Orioles have done this decade. So they still think they're going to be in that, you know, they can win 90 games maybe if a lot of things break their way and they can be in contention. So because of that, like, you're not going to see Jose Ramirez in the market this winter. Um, he's got two – he's got three years left on his deal. He's got 2021, and then he's got club options for 22 and 23, and they're really reasonable. So I, I, maybe if, if you blew them away a year from now or two years from now, they'd trade him, but – you know, at some point, you you have to stick with some of the talent you have and actually try to, to win this thing. So, I don't know. I think a lot is going to have to unfold before we get a better sense of, of what they want to do with him in the future. But he still has three years left, so I don't think they're ready 
to, to start entertaining anything. We're talking with Zach Mizell, Indians beat writer for the Athletic Cleveland. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Zach, let's let's localize this here for the Cardinals fan base that's listening right now because you mentioned you think that if the Indians were to trade Francisco Lindor, you, you would imagine, and we don't know on the outside, but you would imagine one young position player and a decent prospect or two. I think the problem for the Cardinals in trying to line up for a deal, uh, a lineup, a deal for Francisco Lindor, and I, I don't think they would have this money on their books either. But in terms of the the cost of it, I don't know that the Cardinals line up well with what the Indians are looking for. They don't really have young position players. That's why they would want to acquire Francisco Lindor. Their value would be coming from their young pitching. Is that something you think the Indians would be interested in? Because like you said, they seem to be doing a pretty good job of developing those guys. Yeah, I think they would fixate on teams that have the position players side. They've got what's crazy is, I mean, they might dangle Carlos Carrasco this winter just because they have, I mean, they have Shane Bieber. Obviously, we all know what he accomplished this year. And then they've got Zach Plesak and Aaron Savali and uh, Cal Quantrill and Tristan McKenzie. I mean, I just named five guys who are all under the age of 26 and none of them are even in arbitration yet. And they are all major league ready, capable starting pitchers. And they have more guys behind that. So I, it's never stopped them before. If that's like a secondary piece, something like that. Um, but they need position players more than anything, even in their farm system, they've got a bunch of position players who are 19, 20 years old and, and not having a minor league system this year or not having a minor league season this year really hurt them because those guys weren't able to develop. And that might've changed what they're looking for if we had a normal season, but because we didn't, they don't have like a shortstop who's ready to replace Lindor in 2021. They don't have a second baseman. They had the worst outfield, the second worst outfield offensive production in major league history in 2020. And there's no, there's no, you know, knight on shining armor ready to, uh, to rescue that group. So they need everything they can get. I know talking to Mark Saxon, our, our Cardinals guy, who you guys know well, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Um, you know, we we're trying to kick around names. It just it never really seemed like the ideal fit. I think there are other teams that match up better, but I also think this is going to be really tough for the Indians. Just I, I don't think they're going to get what they dreamed of. You know, a year ago when they first even considered putting Francisco Lindor on the market. So. Um, the Indians might end up having to settle and maybe that's where a team like the Cardinals come in and and just make the Indians the best offer that they can get. So Zach, uh, do you see a scenario where Cleveland doesn't find the right suitor before spring training starts and holds on to Lindor until trade deadline time or possibly just holds on until free agency? Or do you see them just doing whatever they can to get rid of him before spring training starts? I, I think it's, I'm believing that scenario a little bit more than I was maybe, I don't know, three or four months ago. Um, I still think they're going to do everything they can to trade him because it just doesn't make sense. You know, you could say this about the last couple of years where because of their ownership and they don't spend money and they've, their, their payroll is projected to be one third of what it was in 2018. Mm. And because of that, I mean, it's like they haven't surrounded Lindor. If you're going to have this franchise cornerstone, you got to surround him with talent. Like they, the Indians have been a, a legit contender for five years now. And in 2016, they made the World Series. 2017, they added Edwin Encarnacion, and they were this juggernaut that won 22 games in a row. And 
They just folded in the playoffs. And then that started this trend of cutting back salary, not addressing these glaring needs. And because of that, it's like, well, you, you haven't gone out of your way to surround Lindor with, with talent the last couple of years. So it wouldn't really make, make sense if they held on to him in 2021 because you're not going to you know, shoot that payroll up and, and surround him with talent. So it's not like you'd be going all in for one more try. And because of that, I think they'll do everything they can to try to find the right trade partner and at least get something instead of just letting him walk in free agency. Last question for you. We're talking with Zach Mysel. You can find his work over on The Athletic Cleveland. He's joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Zach, I hate asking uh, kind of two-part questions, but it's all the time that we've got here today. First of all, uh, somebody on the text line brings up an interesting point. Paul DeYoung is a, is a young position player. He's not pre-arbitration, though. He's got five years and $46 million left on his contract. If you include the two club options at the back end, he's 27 years old. First of all, do you think that he would be a player of interest for the Indians in a deal like this? And second of all, do you think that Francisco Lindor, if he was traded to a market like St. Louis would actually resign in St. Louis? Or do you think he's looking towards one of the coasts? Cause I know that's something that's hurt the Cardinals in the past with some of these kinds of moves. So I, I think the young is interesting. I think the problem is the Indians have like 30, 20 year old shortstops in the system <laughs> and, and they're waiting to just learn more about them to see who's legit and who's not. And I think that the issue with someone like the young is you wouldn't want to block those guys a couple of years from now. Um, and I'm not saying that means that it would be a no, no for the Indians, but I, I, I do think that that just wouldn't be high on their priority list. Um, I, look, Lindor has said all the right things. He has said that he wants to stay in Cleveland forever. He'd love to resign here. And, um, but he, he's also said he, he has a price in mind that he wants. So if we take him at his word, I think that would mean that wherever he ends up, if a team offered him something he couldn't refuse, he would say yes. Um, but, you know, that's, that's talk. And he's really polished and really smart and knows how to play the PR game. And so – who knows? I mean, he's got Cleveland on his side. When he gets traded, no one's going to be mad at Francisco Lindor because uh, he said all the right things. Everyone's going to be mad at ownership and the team for trading him. So uh, it, it's tough to say. I, I would think yes, but you never really know. And, and it might be one of those situations where he has to go to the city, see if he's comfortable there and, and if he enjoys it. And then maybe that would make the decision for him. You think that number's around 10 years, 300 million? So I, I thought that that was the case pre-COVID, I'm curious to see what changes now. He also didn't have a really great 2020. I don't know if that factors into the equation. Uh, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, you have a new collective bargaining agreement, you hope we do, in a year when it expires. And the shortstop market next year, Carlos Correa could be a free agent. Javi Baez could be a free agent. Trevor Story can be a free agent. Corey Seager can be a free agent. Those are five legitimate shortstops. And so it'll be interesting to see what that means for that market um, and, and how Lindor kind of falls into that category. He's Zach Mizell. Find his work over on The Athletic Cleveland, where he writes about the Cleveland Indians. You can also find him on Twitter at Zach Mizell, M-E-I-S-E-L. Zach, we always appreciate the time, man. Best, All the best to you and your family. Have a happy holidays. Same to you guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. That's Zach Mysell here on 101 ESPN. A lot to react to there. We'll get into that coming up here in just a little while. Actually, let's do that next. We'll move the junk drawer to one o'clock. Coming up next, let's react to what he just had to say there because 
I think one thing that I haven't probably taken into account enough is what the Indians are going to be looking for in return from for uh, for Francisco Lindor. And after hearing from him, it just doesn't seem like a fit to me. We'll talk about that a little bit coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Conversation with Zach Mizell of the Athletic Cleveland talking about, you know, Francisco Lindor. Ferrario, I'm going to break some news to Cardinals fans. Oh, Doesn't yeah? seem like it's likely he's going to end up here in St. Louis. <laughs> Doesn't seem likely that the $20 million superstar shortstop is going to end up here in St. Louis. You know, I never like to agree with you, BK, but uh, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. So if you missed it, here's what Zach Mizell told us whenever we asked, hey, what are the Indians looking for in any of any trade for Francisco Lindor? They would love to get maybe one young pre-arbitration position player and then a decent prospect or two. I think the thing that's going to make this difficult is. So basically you got the idea there. They want one young position player that they can build around. And then they want a couple of prospects thrown in as well. Uh, So here's the problem. Cardinals don't really have a whole lot of young position players that would be of interest. Well, they do um, that. They are willing to say, but uh, it's the guy that, John Mozeliak said you'd have to pry from his dead hands, and that was Dylan Carlson. Yeah. That's the it, only player you're getting with. The only other guy that I could even think maybe would come up in these conversations is Andrew Kisner, but I don't think he holds that kind of value. Like, if I'm the if I'm the Indians and I'm hearing from the Blue Jays and the Yankees and the Dodgers, and they're all, they've got hundreds, seemingly, of these young position players that are available that are pre-arbitration, can come up right away and start for the, for the Indians. And then I've got the Cardinals that are calling me and saying, hey, yeah, uh, we know you want Dylan Carlson. He's not on the table. So what about we talk about this Andrew Kisner? You know, he's 25 years old. We've never once trusted him to start games for us. Maybe he's the guy that you want. I mean, mean, you got Justin Williams. That's not going to get it done. You got Lane Thomas. That's not going to get it done. They don't want, as Zach told us, infielders that play third base and shortstop because they got plenty of those guys. And really, that's that's your farm. Gorman, El Huris, Montero. I mean, if if you're the and Indians, those guys aren't ready for the big leagues. No, and if you're the Indians, all the all they all the Dodgers need to say is Gavin Lux, and you're hanging up on every single person that's in baseball. Because that's the player you want, and you don't have anybody that measures up to that name. Yeah, the Cardinals just don't match here. The problem is the Cardinals have all of the pitching in the world. So if there's a team out there like the Colorado Rockies, just gonna um, say. or if you had another team out there that had one of the other free agent shortstops that suddenly becomes available, okay, maybe we could talk about them. But that's not what the Indians need. They, they don't need the pitching that the Cardinals have. Matthew Libertor does nothing for them in terms of them being better next year or beyond. He's just like most of the other starters that they have already in Cleveland. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 636. What about Tommy Edmond and a couple prospects? The problem is Tommy Edmond's not really a high upside player. No. He's a guy that you're happy to have on your team, but Every team in baseball has somebody similar to Tommy Edmond. He's a, a guy Kike that, Hernandez to what just left the Dodgers. He, he's a guy that comes in. He's a late bloomer, a solid player that you really like having in those pre-RB years. But he, he's not somebody that you're projecting moving forward like a Dylan Carlson who can maybe be a star. Tyler O'Neill at one point was somebody that was like that, where you could project to potentially, he's not lived up to this, but potentially be a star. 
That's not Tommy Edmond. So you look around what these other teams have. They all have Tommy Edmond and they have high upside players that they could project that ultimately would be make for a bigger, better deal for the Indians. I just don't think it matches. We all know about the money side of things and how that could be a problem for the Cardinals. It's also the prospects return haul that's going to go to the Indians. I don't think that the Cardinals fit there either. Yeah, unfortunately, talking to Zach, it really has taken me to the point where I'm, I'm done thinking of Francisco Lindor. And I know that's a shock to a lot of our texters because they've been done with this for a while now. But it's not a match anymore. The match that people need to be focusing in on are the Colorado Rockies. And it's not going to happen this season because they're not spending. But look. Either Nolan Arenado or Trevor Story. Those are the names that you can acquire because Colorado has a slew of young you know, position players. They need MLB-ready pitching, and that's what the Cardinals succeed in. So you're either looking at the trade market on that end or you're looking at free agency and hoping that you can get one of the guys that hit it, but you got to hope and pray that they make it to that point. Yeah, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tech sign to get involved in the show. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. We'll get to this coming up at 115. What does a Jeff Albert hitter look like? I want to hear from you guys on the Rhino Shield mic drop feature. Like, if I told you right now... The Cardinals are going to add somebody that is in the image of Jeff Albert, that it's his style of hitter. What does that mean? We'll get into that coming up at 115. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. Coming up next, though, we're going to dive into the junk drawer. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. What do you have for us today in the all junk right, drawer, my BK, man? So, uh, so we've all seen athletes that kind of take over in the spotlight with new teams, right? Like a guy gets the call up, a guy gets to be the main player for the roster, and you got to make a good impression. So Philadelphia, of course, is Jalen Hurts now. Yeah. Hurts is the new starting quarterback. Wentz is to the bench. That was supposed to rhyme. Well, Hurts had a press conference yesterday with the media, of course, on Zoom. And in his press conference, he was sitting with a hat and a hoodie that was both supporting the Houston Astros and the Houston Rockets. Okay. And apparently Philadelphia fans, because we all know Philadelphia fans are the greatest. Yeah. They have lost their ish over this. Because he's wearing a Because he's not supporting the Philadelphia 76ers, the Philadelphia Phillies, or frankly, the Philadelphia Eagles. I I gotta say I don't totally get this one. If you're not, you're, if you're, you're not livid. No. <laughs> what are you talking about? If Vladdy Tarasenko was, I guess it's a little different. Vladdy's from Russia, so he didn't grow up rooting for one of these teams, probably. But if you've got a kid on your roster, like let's say Harrison Bader. Harrison Bader is from New York, and he came out to his media availability one day with a uh, a Rangers hat on, a New York Rangers hat, right? Yeah, I'd be pissed. Really? Yeah. <laughs> As a Blues fan, you'd be upset I about would that? be pissed. You are St. Louis Cardinal. You support the St. Louis team. What are you doing wearing another yeah, team? You don't believe that. I do. You don't believe that. I do. I here's Look, you can support anybody you want, but if you're doing a press conference with the media... 
and you're wearing another team? I mean, LeBron James wears hats from the Cowboys and the Indians. Uh, nobody and likes LeBron James. The, he went to the Lakers. Like, nobody, did you just say nobody likes yeah, LeBron James? Nobody likes LeBron James. Six five seven eight zero. Would you actually be upset about this? Do people do people get mad about this? I think people get mad about this. About their athletes that I, are wearing hats that they are for a different team. <laughs> or Mike Ryder just brought me a uh, a picture on his phone. Harrison Bader on MLB Network wearing a New York Yankees jacket. See, he's from yeah. New York. Like, of what? course, he grew up rooting for those Guess teams. Guess what? Now I'm livid. Look, if it's a, if it's that's hard because if it's in the same organization, yeah, that would like piss same me, league. That would piss me off even more. I. It's a fashion statement, man. I'm just From saying. From the 314, Jason Tatum reps St. Louis while he's out in Boston. He even wore the blue sneakers. See, that's the thing. Like, when it's our guy doing it, we love it. Hell yeah. But if it's our player representing I'm his hometown, it. it's like, no, no, no. Do not yeah. do that. I'm against it. Right. I can't believe people were actually upset about this. I guarantee you people like Bradley in. Bradley Beal should be wearing all of the St. Louis swag. I guarantee you people in Boston are pissed off that Jason Tatum wears St. Louis things. Really? I guarantee you. I guarantee. We all know Boston fans. Yeah. <laughs> Boston Touché. and Philly fans are probably losing their minds right From now. From the 314, Dexter Fowler is rocking his Vegas Gold Knight stuff. Exactly. BT rocks his Vegas stuff, too. Absolutely. Anthony Stalter is rocking his Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. and Stalter rocks their San Jose Sharks gear, too, though. So and I'm a little livid with him about that. I mean, he, he's... He's rocking his Chanticleers <laughs> uniform, I would imagine. I'm sure that he's got one of those on today. I I don't think people actually have an issue with this. Guess right? what? I right? do. Would you? So you're from here. Mm-hmm. Do you have any other teams that you root for that are outside of this city? Like, are you just Mizzou, St. Louis, St. Louis? No. Um, boy, I don't know. St. Louis Blues and Cardinals. I, like, there's the only times I root for other teams are when. St. Louis is out, right? You don't have an actual yeah, team. Yeah, there's no team that, I, like, basketball, I'm a Boston Celtics guy, but it's because is of the St. Louis Tatum. Yeah, because I've always been a Lakers guy because of Kobe, but then when Tatum went to Boston, I became a Boston guy. In football, I don't <laughs> know. I, I'm telling you, man, they must just be the St. Louis thing. It runs deep because in, in football, it was the Arizona Cardinals because Kurt Warner went there after the Rams. Interesting. Yeah. So, see, this is actually working. What you're saying is working in favor of what I'm talking about. Like, you were literally a Cardinals fan, not the St. Louis Cardinals, an Arizona Cardinals fan because Kurt Warner represented your city people yeah. now are boston celtics fans because jason tatum represents this city so well but you know what I kurt guarantee- warner never did wear st louis gear at arizona cardinals press conferences I, bet you he, I, I don't know if he did it in a press conference but i bet you you can find a picture hey, I of am, him wearing st louis stuff while he was down I'm there all for, like i'm fine with guys wearing the gear but when you're on television and you're talking about your team Maybe you should represent the team in the city. This is ridiculous. I can't it's believe, not ridiculous. I can't believe people in Philly are upset about this. People that's that's in, absolutely well, absurd. I can well, believe that it's Philly. Let me clarify. <laughs> I, I can't believe there are rational people that are upset about this. That's better. That doesn't always apply to those in Philly. What do you got? Speaking of being rational, um, are we making a terrible, terrible mistake right now with this COVID vaccine distribution? Oh, I thought you meant this show, and I said, no, we're making a great great mistake. So the reason why I ask this is because there was a report yesterday that apparently because you know these vaccines have to be held at like minus 95 degrees Fahrenheit, right? right? It has to be held with, they have to be transported essentially with dry ice. So we are having a shortage right now as a country 
with dry ice because they're having to transport these all over the country, as they should, right? Shortage in dry ice and change, which is incredible. So the problem is we need dry ice for cheese. For cheese? For cheese. Apparently, the distribution of cheese is becoming problematic because without the dry ice, we don't have a way to keep it cold and keep it refrigerated and keep it good long term while it's being sent across the countries to wherever you get your cheese from. Right. Are we making a terrible mistake right now? Like, I know COVID's a problem. Of course. Yeah. But we also need cheese in the meantime. I mean, look, I'm a I'm a lactose intolerant kind of guy, but I'm a huge you? yeah, I'm a huge cheese component. Wait. Oh yeah, I Can Oh yeah, those look. Things go together? I, no, they don't. They shouldn't go together and I go against the grain with that. Big milk, dairy, cheese kind of guy because it's just the way it is. But yeah. I'm a huge cheese person. Am I mistaken or aren't you supposed to stay away from cheese if you're lactose? Yeah, but intolerant? you know it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers other people. For me, it's okay. just a it's just a beeline for the bathroom. Oh, good. That's what happens. So, and it's worth it for you? It's worth it every time, especially with the cheese. Okay. Have you ever had some aged cheddar? No, I'm not a big cheese guy. What? I know this would probably surprise some of our listeners, <laughs> but like true. the charcuterie boards, I'm out. I'm good. You don't, don't like a good I cheese board? No, with I'm With some good. salami and some crackers on it? I'm, I'm Italian and I don't like salami. I Hold don't, up. I'm not a big, in terms of like the, the sausages that are pre-prepared, I'm good. I don't need that. Well, I don't need that. I don't need to meet the cheeses on the on the charcuterie board. I'm so good. you're not a sausage guy, which is always a good thing. But salami, I know, surprises some people there. As yeah, well. it might surprise a lot. Air Comfort Service text line. Have your fun with that one six five seven eight zero. But salami, man, that's uh, that's like a no no. Are you a big olive guy? No, hate olives. Oh my! Again, are you sure you're Italian? <laughs> it's frowned upon at my Christmas because we have plenty Damn. of uh, green olives that are all around. Nope, can't do them. Okay, I'm so, out. So back to the cheese problem, though. Though, so if this is the case and we're running out of dry ice and we have no more cheese, yep. who's gonna cut the cheese? He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. What is a Jeff Albert hitter? What is defined as that? We're going to get into that on the other side. If you want to get in a Rhino Shield mic drop feature on that 101 ESPN app is where you find it. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We're going to play a game of one got to go coming up here in just about 15 minutes or so. You give us four options. One's got to go. We'll do that in about 15 minutes. But right now, what is a Jeff Albert hitter exactly? Because Dan Hayes joined us yesterday and he was talking about Eddie Rosario. And he's like, hey, you know, this is a guy that is going to swing at everything he sees. He doesn't strike out a lot. Doesn't walk a lot either, though. Swings at everything is a contact machine. That, to me, sounds like a great player to add to this lineup because it's completely different than anything else that they have in their lineup. But then we thought about it a little bit, Alex, and it was like, okay, well, that sounds great if Jeff Albert wasn't the hitting coach. And you asked me, and we kind of got into a, a little bit, well, who does Jeff Albert want to see in this lineup? Because if you look at the track record over the last couple of years, it's not like they've been active in bringing in new pieces to the puzzle. 
it's basically been, hey, Jeff Albert, can you make the current hitters that we have better? Mm -hmm. The answer to that has largely been no. (laughs) But I don't know what a Jeff Albert hitter looks like right now. So I want to hear from you guys. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop features on the 101 ESPN app. What exactly is a Jeff Albert hitter? Let's start with Corey here on the Rhino Shield mic drop. I'm not sure what a Jeff Albert hitter looks like, but I know what one sounds like in the dugout. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming the dead silence is what they sound like in the dugout. Let's go back out to the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Let's hear from Paul. We got Paul. A Jeff Alberts batter has big ears and good rhythm so they can pick up the beating on the trash can. Houston. Touché. I've heard something about this. I've heard something about the cheating scandal that happened down in Houston. I, I think the problem with Jeff Albert and what took place down there is that we we really don't have any indication that he's done well whenever that's not happening behind the scenes. And so far in St. Louis, I mean, I would imagine that they haven't had a whole lot of cheating going on. And so we haven't seen the results. Well, and he was an assistant hitting coach with the Houston Astros. This yeah, was totally a, this different. Was he wasn't a sole guy in charge of Houston. Maybe he was the one that was making sure the trash cans were loud enough in Houston. No, I actually think he wasn't involved whatsoever. Def- definitely not involved. Definitely had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. Let's go back out to the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Let's hear from Rex. What is a Jeff Albert hitter? Hey, Cardinals fans. I'm a product of Jeff Albert. I strike out more than Ryan Howard does, and I hit way less home runs than Ryan Howard does. But I do have great statistics in areas that you will not be able to explain to your children or any younger fans. But we will be a 500 team. Thanks. So that is that is the quintessential Jeff Yikes. Albert hitter. Strikes out a lot, hits the ball in the air a lot. We can't really explain <laughs> what it is that it goes well. Uh, but there are, there are things clearly that are there. There are indicators. Maybe it's the expected stats for Ario, and that's what's going well for them. Um, in the meantime, none of us on the outside looking in can see that particularly. Well, and those expected stats always work out so well, but I mean... He's not wrong in terms of the striking out a lot because the short sample size that we've had has shown, I don't want to say record-setting numbers, but a lot higher numbers of strikeouts for players that don't usually strike out. Is that the case? Are we sure? At least with Matt Carpenter. I mean, because let's go back a couple of years with Matt Carpenter. This guy did not strike out an awful lot. This guy took walks or or hit home runs or at the beginning of his career mashed doubles. If you go back and look at this past season, which I know was 60 games, but the second half of the year prior, he struck out an awful lot that's uncommon for Matt Carpenter. Yeah, I just I think that's more about his decline right now than it is about uh, Jeff Albert. For just a little bit of an example on where the Cardinals are now with their strikeouts compared to where they were prior to Jeff Albert. Uh, The last two years under Albert, they had a 23% strikeout rate in the year prior to Albert coming here. They were at 22% as a team. So it hasn't changed a ton in terms of what Albert has done for or against their strikeouts. You would hope that that would have gone down under Jeff Albert. Of course, Um, that has not happened. It's gone up slightly, but it hasn't changed a ton. Their walks have gone up a little bit under Jeff Albert. I think the thing that's frustrating if I'm a Cardinals fan right now is that you haven't seen any sort of real tangible differences. Like the same questions, the same issues that were there when Jeff Albert arrived are still there. 
Harrison Bader, it's it's holding off on the slider. Tyler O'Neill, it's the strikeouts. Uh, Matt Carpenter hasn't really seemingly been able to change his approach. And uh, the funny thing, man, is whenever we hear about these guys uh, getting better, we hear in the media or we hear behind the scenes a little bit, hey, th- you know, that, that guy heard something from Jim Edmonds, mm-hmm. and that was able to fix what he had mechanically going on. And so it, it almost makes you wonder, like, what what is going on there with Jeff Albert? Let's go back out to the Rhino Shield mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Let's hear from Tom on what he thinks the quintessential Jeff Albert hitter looks like. Hey, BK and Alex. Sports athletes do not need. I don't think that was one on the mic drop. Sorry, let's do, let's do, I have a Tim and I have a Tom. Tim was supposed to be Tom. Let's hear from Tom. <laughs> Ferrari, do we have Tom? A Jeff Albert hitter looks like trash. I mean, playing something. Okay. Not really hitting them, but people hit them. So trash. This is what happens, what happened, this is what happens when you're doing everything in here. <laughs> What just happened, Ferrario? What just happened? Honestly, what just happened? <laughs> so Tom was downloaded. Tom was Tim, and Tim wasn't supposed to play. So Tim played where Tom did, and Tom was supposed to play where Tim played. Does that make sense to anybody? <laughs> nope. It okay. makes sense to absolutely nobody. All right. It is 123. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Ferrario, if you could pull up the John Mosellock comment from yesterday, you can't please everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, John Mosellock was talking with the media the other day on his Zoom call, and there was a comment that came up that honestly surprised me quite a bit. And I was reading earlier today in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, and Benjamin Hockman wrote a little bit about this. I wasn't sure if other people heard it the same way that I did, but it came off as um, something that you probably don't want to hear as a Cardinals fan. Let's go ahead and play this, and we'll react to it on the other side. You know, even when you go out and, and do something big, like, Go out and trade for Paul Goldschmidt. It's then what's next? So like I think like try to appease that type of, of of voice is virtually impossible. So again, I think the the way we try to do it is we we take a club that we believe in, that we hope for, and and, and we put it out there. I think that if I'm a Cardinals fan, I hear that and it's like, okay, there is some truth to it, right? There's a certain portion of fans that are just never going to be satisfied, right? Even after you win a World Series, they're looking to the next year and they're like, oh, well, our team's not set up for the future. There, there, It's a very, very small minority, in my opinion, especially here in this market, of fans that approach things that way. But there is a percentage of fans that look at things that way. But I think the vast majority of Cardinals fans looked at the Paul Goldschmidt trade and said, oh, this is a really good move for the Cardinals. And we're thrilled about the fact that they had added him to the lineup. But they also looked around the rest of the National League and they said to themselves, "Okay, uh, we're getting better. We're still not at the level of the Dodgers. There's still the Cubs that are out there that have all of this talent. And if they put it together, that's a team that we've still got to worry about. I understand where Cardinals fans were coming from. And frankly, I don't think it was an unfair critique of Cardinals fans to say, okay, this is fantastic. We love the fact that you just got Paul Goldschmidt and we're we're thrilled that he's going to be here for the long term. But you can't just be satisfied with that. You've got to continue to build moving forward from there. And I think that's where there's there seems to be a real disconnect 
between this front office and the fan base in terms of how this team is building for now and the future. And I saw in Ben Hockman's article yesterday in the Post-Dispatch, he was talking about, you know, why the griping towards the Cardinals because they're making the postseason. But the stat that sticked out was when you look at their last, how I think it was six postseason appearances, they've scored a total of seven runs, right? Like, that's the problem more than anything. They're not griping about... Well, what's next after you make a Paul Goldschmidt? The Paul Goldschmidt move was needed. The Marcelo Zuna move was needed. It's what I said earlier today. They make the moves that is that are obvious they need. Yeah. But the problem for at least the fan base is it's what's next in terms of competitiveness. Not at what's next in terms of moves. What's next in competitiveness? Because when you're making the postseason, that's great. But when you're scoring seven runs in six appearances... That's not great because six of those runs came in one game. Yeah, and I I think those were in the losses that that was the case. And it's just like everybody can see the problem for this team, right? It's not hard to find. We're not going through and digging into all of the minute details of what went wrong for the Cardinals. It's it's the offense. It's been the offense, right? If if I get into an argument with uh, my fiance and every night I'm coming home at 11 o'clock and she's like, hey, you need to come home earlier. Like, <laughs> it's very clear what the problem is. Right. And if I say, well, why are you getting upset with me about what we're having for dinner tonight? Well, it never had anything to do with that. Right. It's about the offense uh, for the Cardinals. It's about me getting home late in this hypothetical argument with with my significant other. So it's there for everybody to see on the outside, from the inside. Everybody should be able to see what's gone wrong with this team over the last few years. It's not that Cardinals fans um, can't see the good in what they're doing. We we all understand the defense has been quite good. The pitching is really good. The Cardinals are really, really good at developing competent Major League Baseball players, solid average to above average players. But Cardinals fans aren't going to be sold a 90-win team anymore, an 85-win team anymore, and try to convince themselves every year, hey, if you get into the postseason, anything can happen. Yeah, anything can happen. But the reason why anything did happen in 2011 and in 2006 was because those teams had the roster talent to be able to make something happen in a short sample size. The current Cardinals roster even in a short sample size, don't have that kind of a talent to be able to overcome the disadvantages that they have compared to the Dodgers, for instance. That's why when you hear the phrase from John Mozeliak, well, this team's still exciting and we still have a lot of expectations for this team, that's where the frustration comes from because these guys have shown that they can't do that. And I know it's a shorter sample size, but at the end of the day, I'm sounding like John Mozeliak on that one right there, but (laughs) frankly, you look at what they have and you can't sell somebody that they're exciting when they've seen that excitement not hit its peak at any point. Yeah, and I I think moving forward, if I mean I I wouldn't make comments like these if I'm Mo. Like I I just I don't know what the upside is here. I understand the frustration. You can't go anywhere him. else with that comment though. Yeah, if, if I mean you can you can say listen we understand the frustration for Cardinals fans we agree. The success in the postseason hasn't been there offensively the way that we wanted it to be over the last few years, and we're hoping to address that. There are some real difficulties this offseason with the financial constraints that we are under, but we agree. We can see it just like you can. The offense has to get better. We believe that we can internally, and we believe that we will with somebody coming in from the outside, and that's the way you address that. And I I think that most typically really, really good with that stuff. Uh, I, I think he kind of missed the mark with this comment in particular because I think Cardinals fans are 
honestly in the right and have every reason to be frustrated by the fact that there hasn't been more since the Paul Goldschmidt trade. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go, and we might have a surprise for you coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It's time for One Gotta Go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one has to go. And look who the cat truck is. Jamie yeah, Rivers is in studio. Yeah. <laughs> I thought last week we got rid of you in this segment. Yeah, we, we did. Both of us. Now he's back. Well, it's just like the NHL right now, right? Like Minnesota wasn't in the Pacific Division, and now they are in the Pacific <laughs> Division. So that's how we're doing it. So I think the plan moving forward is because Jamie, the only thing he really loved about this show, the only thing. <laughs> it's true. There were very few, but they might have been the only one. He really enjoyed doing One Gotta Go. So we're going to try to drag him in here for One Gotta Go each and every Friday afternoon. Yes. We'll do this at 1.30. All right. One Gotta Go. We'll start it out. One Gotta Go Christmas edition. Mm-mm. One gotta go Christmas edition. Christmas lights, Christmas tree, Christmas presents, Christmas cards. Christmas lights, oh. trees, presents, or cards. You should just stop with three choices. Easily. The Christmas cards gotta go. I mean, look, the lights are a pain in the butt, and getting up there doing the Clark Griswold thing, yes, I do it. And I, when I'm done, I'm very proud of my work. I go stand at the curb, and, you know, sometimes even a tear comes to my eye because it's so beautiful. Not really. But anyways, presents. Who's getting rid of presents? Nobody's getting rid of presents. So as far as I'm concerned, the cards, Christmas cards, dude, they got to go. Christmas isn't about the presents, Jamie. Yes, it is. Alex. What's it about? It's about the Christmas cards. <laughs> oh, come was, on. It, was this a shot at me because I sent both of you guys Christmas cards? I haven't given my answer wow, yet. Wow, that's true. That, that was a shot at me, wasn't it? <laughs> wow. This was a direct. You sunk my battleship on this one, but Christmas cards got to go. <laughs> Christmas cards. My wife loves Christmas cards. Like she puts them up on our windows. She'll tape them to the windows every Christmas. I would throw them in the trash if it were me. Do you know how washed I am? Do you know how I, I knew this year was the first time when I was like, God, I'm I'm officially old. Um, <laughs> I looked forward to getting Christmas cards. What? Oh, I was man. like, this is pretty cool, actually. Oh. I don't mind getting them. Yeah. Okay. Like, honestly, I love the fact your wife set it out. Nice picture of you and the dog. You cut and, my you face know. out and threw it in the trash. No, can. I did not. I did not. It was it, it's nice to see that. And like people you haven't seen in a while, like yeah. the Kachuk family yeah. send us one every year of the kids and they're growing up. Up that name for you. I just I thought I'd throw that out there for you. But it is fun to look at them. I guess I'm looking at it from the other direction. What you're giving. I hate doing them, right? And not that I have, and my wife's probably listening right now. She, when the hell did you ever do Christmas cards? <laughs> but I do have to hear her complain about it, so... I am going to go ahead and get rid of the cards as well, but I do so begrudgingly because this was the first year where I was like, you know, I kind of get it. I've never totally understood the Christmas cards thing. I kind of get it now. I I do. I won't Um, give. I won't send them next year to you guys. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for one's gotta go. One gotta go chicken edition. Fried chicken, smoked chicken, grilled chicken, or roasted chicken. One's gotta go. Christmas edition Ferrario. Go through them again. Smoked chicken, fried, grilled chicken, smoked, fried, grilled, or roasted. 
Roasted. I, what? I, I, yeah, I don't even know if I've ever had a roasted chicken that's good. I don't good. even know if I know you That's this. No, why would you, why would you even. Rotisserie, that's what it is, right? A yeah. roast. Okay. What? I'll take fried chicken over rotisserie chicken. I'll take grilled chicken. Fried chicken's not the wrong one either. No, it's it, it's not. Rotisserie is the wrong oh one God, here. Rotisserie Alex. chicken has to go. What are you going it's with? trash. Grilled chicken, get out of here, Really? Man. Why? So You're a basic. hockey player. I might as well grill a piece of paper. It's what you put on the chicken. I literally made grilled chicken last night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't rotisserie chicken the same as grilled chicken? It's different. No. You got the skin on it, the way they cook it, and then smoked chicken, obviously, it's got its own chicken. Did you just say rotisserie chicken yeah, is the same as grilled? It's the same grilled? thing. No, this is why I have a problem thing. with him on this one. This is why he doesn't get it right now. It's the same thing. Grilled chicken. To me, look, at it's good and great. Oh, my God, so healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's plain, though. <laughs> so is rotisserie chicken. It doesn't no. have to be. I, no, but, you can, you okay, can marinate no, it. But, you can season it. There's a million different things you can do to grilled chicken. I don't care. Grilled chicken, get out of my kitchen. <laughs> I am going to go with roasted chicken as well. I know so, I just so made fun of with me. <laughs> we're just making fun of me for what we're going with. What Correct. the hell? I'm still making fun of you for it. That's not I'm, false. I'm not a huge fan of rotisserie chicken. I got to be honest. It's disgusting. Not a huge fan it's of disgusting. rotisserie chicken. 65780 is one got to uh, The air comfort service tax for one got to go. One got to go Christmas movie edition. Elf, which I just watched the other day. On, on VHS. VHS. Beta. Christmas hell. story. <laughs> Home Alone or Christmas Vacation. Elf, oh, Christmas Story, shoot. Home Alone or Christmas Vacation. One's got to go, Jamie Ripper. This is going to be really unpopular. I know this. Christmas Story's got to go. Agreed. Like, Agreed. Uh, Agreed. You'll, you'll shoot your eye out. Okay, I've seen it a couple times. Every year, I'm not sitting there waiting for Christmas Story. Those other three, I'm waiting. Like, I'm anxiously waiting for them to come on and DVR it, and I cannot wait to watch them with my kids and my family. And you know what the problem is? They ruin Christmas Story because they play it on a 24-hour loop yeah. on Christmas Day. That's only because somebody wants a day off. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that Can we loop a better movie then, though? Like it's, it's good, but it's nothing compared to those other three. Like those other three are Mount Rushmore Christmas movies. Christmas stories just eh, okay. I also saw a documentary the other day um, on the making of Elf. It was an incredible. Is that on Netflix? Uh, it's on Disney Plus right now. Oh, okay. And yeah, there's one on Netflix too. It's like the making of your favorite Christmas movies, right? Mm-hmm. And it, they had one on Elf. The way that they had to go, there was a point in time when they thought they were going to get sued for all of the uh, the usage that they had because they basically copied off of a previous film. Mm-hmm. And they thought they were going to get sued and they would never be able to release the film at one point. And they were going to have to reshoot everything because of Will Ferrell's costume. Oh, gosh. They copied yeah. it off of mm-hmm. it's basically the the likeness and image of another movie. Which movie is that, PK? I don't remember. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, I'm not talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for one gotta go four four options we'll tell you which one's gotta go all right with christmas coming up we gotta get back into something about pie one's gotta go pie edition apple just christmas cherry peach or pecan apple cherry peach or pecan one gotta go pie edition are those christmas pies uh, that's is that what it's supposed to I be i think one is a pecan pie yeah. i think would be christmas we don't really do pie for christmas I, yeah we do the what is it called the yule log is that Ew. what it's called 
Isn't that meatloaf? No. I thought that's what happened after the dinner. <laughs> Anyways, um, I do take the Yule log to the bathroom. <laughs> you guys have never at had the gas Yule station. Log? <laughs> it's good. It's delicious. No, I've never had Yule log. That doesn't sound like, good at like all. It's like a cake. Here, for, uh, Jamie, check this out. It, it's like a Oh, cake. yeah, it's yeah. A it's like a roll. Isn't it like yeah. a fruit yeah, yeah. pie? No. No, no. It's, it's like, like those like uh, jelly rolls. in the middle. You know? Like Swiss rolls? No. Kind, no. kind of, but Ooh. like in cake form. You can Google it later, Alex. No, last time I Googled Yule log, something came up wrong. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, be careful with that, by the way, for listening at home. Now, uh, for me, the the peach pie has to go. I'm just like I like peaches, but I don't know if I like it in pie form. I've had it before, and I wasn't wowed. And not that I'm wowed by the other choices. Cherry pie is pretty good, too. Uh, apple pie is a staple, I think, across the nation. And pecan pie, yeah, it's kind of a Christmas thing. And if it's made right, it's very delicious. Absolutely. So peaches, beat it. See, it's a tie for last for me with peach and pecan because I don't think either are good, but I'll stick with pecan because it's Christmas, so peaches kind of have to go. I'm not a big... I'm, I'm good with, like, you know, refrigerated peaches, but when you warm up the peaches, not so much. See, I love peaches, well, and I'm good on peach pie. <laughs> Cherry pie's got to get all the way up out of here. All the way what? up out of here. If it, nothing else, you have to keep it around for She's my, my cherry pie. Right? <laughs> that song, way better than the actual cherry pie. That is false. By the way, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service sex line. Is it pecan or pecan? Depends where I, you're at, yeah, I think. I call it pecan. I call it pecan as well. What I call do you it, go with? I call it pecan pie, but in Canada, I know they say pecan all the time. Really? Yeah. Um, the other thing, Sorry. 65780, <laughs> do people not like Yule Logs? No, is because a, they're disgusting. That, you've literally never had one That's before. That's because it, it looks disgusting. <laughs> he it's, literally is never, doesn't even doesn't know, know what, what it looks is. like. It looks disgusting. <laughs> he said it's disgusting like, and it looks kids, terrible. You have an opinion. No, you don't even know what we're talking that's about. That's fine. I don't need to. It's just a bunch of random things meshed Yule into log. one. No, Yule Log isn't bad. I, you know, no, it's not delicious. great. A Yule Log is what happens when you eat a bunch of things for okay. dinner and then you go to the we've, bathroom. We've already gone here. Gas station. 65780 no, is the air comfort service text line. You do do that whenever you go over to your your father-in-law's That house. was a good one. Talked I do this. do that. Uh, from the 314, one gotta go cold weather clothes edition. A hoodie, sweatpants, a pullover sweater. I said a sweatshirt. We're just going with those three. Hoodie, sweatpants, or a pullover a, sweater. A sweatshirt would just be like a hoodie with no hood. Yeah. yeah it's a sweatshirt. It's like an ugly Christmas like a, sweater. Yeah. Like a knitted sweater. Okay, one of those four like got to go. Yule Log, I'll accept yeah. that he doesn't know. I you don't know Yule what logs. a sweatshirt is? I hate Yule Logs. I, for me, all of them got to go because I'm always so damn hot, I just like to be cold. That's actually very true. I guess I have. I don't think I have seen you uh, in sweatpants before. Oh, yeah. You wear sweatpants all the time. I do wear sweatpants. Do you? Yeah, you wear do. sweatpants okay. all the time. I was about to say, I know Stalter's the guy that's coming in every day. That's Well, not with, anymore. He's, in the, he's Mr. Jeans guy now that he's oh, on the fast really? lane. Yeah. He's got to upgrade his game a little okay. bit, I guess. I don't know. Well, you're the sweatpants guy. I noticed guy. that you, you came in in a suit today. Suit looking tie. It's a like birthday suit. I'd prefer you to go change. I was a little surprised. It I was taking suit, it back though. by it, still but I respect it. For me on this one, though, all jokes aside... Um, I think the sweatshirt has to go. I, I don't wear a sweatshirt. I'll wear a hoodie. I'll wear a quarter zip or something like that. Sweatshirt's just not my thing. Yeah, sweatshirt for me, too. I don't know if I even wear sweatshirts. Like, the ugly Christmas sweater's the only thing, and I don't even do that. Hoodies and sweatpants are a staple in the winter, and the pullovers every once in a while. So, yeah, sweatshirt's got to go here. Yeah, I'm going to go with that as well. It's a cardigan. Thanks for noticing. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service X line for one's got to go. Four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go. I'm with you guys on the sweater. Uh, from the 314, one's got to go on Christmas Day, weather edition. 
white Christmas, a 60 degree day, or it's two degrees out with no snow. So white Christmas, you got snow on Christmas Day. I was going to say it's snow, Jamie. It's That's a white Christmas. It's 60 degrees outside or two degrees, so cold with no snow. One's got to go. Uh, I'm going to go the two degrees cold with no snow has got to go. Because if I, if I don't have snow, what's the point? Like, I'm the big component of snow in December and then no more snow, because that's the only point of that. But if it's not going to be snow, give me give If me it's just sun. cold with no snow, yeah. well, why is it cold? Give why me, do I want give it to be cold? Give me sun. Okay, you're both into the moonshine too early here, okay? It is a Friday. 60 degree on Christmas right, Mr. Day. Mr. Canada. Yeah. But Ooh. listen, I, I played. Mr. Moose. I played in Florida. And I spent a Christmas down where it was warm, and it sucked. No, it, no, it doesn't. No, it, it doesn't. Does. It, listen, it absolutely sucks. I like a white Christmas or have it be cold, something that makes me feel like it's Christmas. Now, to your point, Mr. Canada, Mr. Canada, you're right. I grew up, and every time we had Christmas, we had snow or it was freezing cold. So that, to me, that's my happy place. Oh, okay. You shouldn't make fun of me. Alex, I'll tell you what. Next time, it. I'm breaking that finger. I didn't do it. Right off. <laughs> at the knuckle. Okay, he looked. <laughs> serious on that one. <laughs> Fine, Jamie. I'll, I'll throw away the, the, the warm Christmas. Jesus. Ever, I'm 99% sure he was serious. He was. He, his eyes squinted a little bit. That was very frightening J- for Jamie, me. Jamie, uh, I've only seen that look one other time. And I'm, I'm also 99% yeah. sure he was very serious that time as well. That was when Keith Law was on the show. Uh, twice, actually. Okay, okay never point. mind. Good point. I had seen it one time prior to that. That was the other. Um, the correct answer here is very clear. At least in my opinion, the two degree day was ah. no snow. He's a genius, Jamie. Ah. My family, so we are very non-traditional in terms of the way that we celebrate Christmas at times. We like taking vacations for Christmas. And so last year we went out to San Diego. It was wonderful. Let me tell you, 60 degrees on, on Christmas Day was absolutely fantastic. We went to Miami timeshare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's having a hard time getting out I of it. I got rid of that. Not anymore, uh, though. <laughs> <laughs> My friends over at Wesley Financial <laughs> took care of that for me. Uh, we went to Miami. Awesome. We went down to Cancun. Amazing. I highly recommend going somewhere warm for Christmas. Did you go to the beach? Of course. Oh, no, I thought you went and sat in the pool. They built a, a sand a sand I tree. I didn't say I went into they the water. a sand tree. I didn't say I went into the water. I went into onto the beach. He looked at totally the beach different. in the pool and then at his timeshare. Yep. Yeah. Had a tubby after. <laughs> Whoa. That's... What? That's not, <laughs> not sure what you're referencing That's not here. allowed anymore. With Jamie Rivers, he's a former Superstar Blues defenseman, and Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It is BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. to St. Louis area education employees with Hubbard Radio's Deserving delivery, Deliveries. rather Today's Deserving Delivery is put together by 101 ESPN, Hubbard Radio, St. Louis, and Scott Credit Unit. Union, rather. Let's try that again. Scott Credit Union. It is going out to Barnwell Middle School in St. Charles County. It is brought to you by Super Smokers Barbecue. Where is the next Deserving, deserving Delivery headed? You can nominate your favorite school staff now over at 101ESPN.com. Huge thanks to all the area educators and staff working hard during these extraordinary times. Crossing things over with the fast lane, Anthony Stalter in studio. Stalter, what's going on, man? man we got the weekend. Got a lot of good it's action. Close. It's close. Got a little good action. Football, college football, NFL, college basketball. 
Should be a good week. Could uh, should should be a good weekend. So, question for you: uh, my my wedding date is December 11th of 2021. So today is officially one year away. What is this next year going to be like for me? Because you've gone through this, Ferrario. You've gone through this. We are we are mostly done with the big stuff, like the photographer ready to go, the venue yeah. already in the books, like all of that big stuff that you have to kind of check off. We're good with all of that so far. What am I now going to see that I'm not anticipating? So the next year is going to be easy for you. It's going to be the wedding day that is going to cause you the most stress because that's when everything that you thought you had ironed out and good and done crap starts to go sideways on you. And then you've got to put out fires. I think I told you this before. I viewed myself going into the wedding. I was a fireman. That was it. My job was to put out fires. So that way the uh, significant other does not find out that, that there are fires. That that's are correct. Place. Okay. Or if, you know, there are some issues, well, by then you put her out, you know? Okay. If she you accidentally sets herself same, on fire. You don't kill same her. experience for you? You don't, you don't kill, kill her. her. You put you her save, out. You yeah. save her. You put the fire out is but where it's going from. Smooth sailing until the wedding day. Yeah. Then crap's going to go wrong. Katie, I guarantee it. Katie was incredible because she like did all of those little things as much as you can leading up to the wedding to where it's like felt like everything was done, but that week prior to the wedding was a nightmare because really? we felt like we were good on everything, but there's stuff you can't do. We found out the day prior to the wedding that we can't have it set up the day before. So we had to set up at like midnight the night before the wedding. Oh, that ain't great. So like in the middle of the bachelor party, I'm with my guys and we're like, hey, guess what we get to go do? Set up the wedding venue. Hold on, your bachelor part? Oh, you you mean just like the group of guys the group that of were guys, your groomsmen? Yeah. Okay, I was like, wait a second, you were doing no, your bachelor no, no. party like no. the day leading into the oh, wedding? No, 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 no. That's a bold strategy. No, that was in Vegas like six months prior. That was, believe me, that, that was planned. Sense. There was no fires around that one. Yeah. Well, so, might have been. and for I, you, it's going to be there. You're going to have a groomsman that's that's going to be. I'm sure Alex, you had one as well. Everybody mm-hmm. listening. Oh, I've got there's, eleven of them. Uh, eleven of them. I, I guarantee you, there's going to be a groomsman. Now, most of them. Are pretty good. Most of them been in wet, been in a wedding before. They understand how this goes. Most of them know. Put on the big boy pants. Leave leave the groom alone. Mm-hmm. There's always one <laughs> that starts blowing you up about the the t- where do I pick up the tux? Where do I do this? Whatever. Like the day of, and that then you know you'll never talk to that groomsman again. So Stalter's saying this because he knows that's going to be him. No, no, he's no, 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 no. I've been in enough weddings. Are you him? I I've been in a we- enough weddings. I I know how this how this goes now. And I obviously I had my own wedding, and I had one groomsman that day of is asking me forty two questions. He's texting and he's texting like the group, right? And my my best man stepped up and said, "Hey, text me. Don't text. Don't Stoltz text Anthony. Done. He's out. He's text, out of this. Text me. I'll handle it." I had it. to kick out a groomsman in mine because of that issue. So that it, they come in every one of them, which is incredible. There you go. The biggest thing for me that I've been surprised by so far is like the little stuff that you suddenly have to pay for. That like I say, it's little, like flowers. She was like, "Hey, we're we need to we need to start looking at flowers." Like, okay, yeah, it's fine. She's like, here's kind of what we're looking at in terms of what it's going to cost. And I was like, yeah, you got a thousand dollars? Yeah, for flowers? Oh, yeah. For fl- we're going to pay a grand for flowers that, for a wedding. That guess what? You don't get after the wedding. Yeah, what the hell? Right. They're all going to die anyway. They just stay there. Yeah. Our, yeah. Ours, ours showed up like half half wilted. Good. It's like, Good. okay. That's, again, I'm looking going back to my original this. point, you're going to have stuff where you, you show up to the wedding and you're like, that's not right. Nope. 
That's not that. Nope, that doesn't look Start good. growing flowers in the spring and then just, you know, use them. I don't think that's going to work. I don't think that's going to work. Is that how that works? That's another fire that's that's, waiting to be put out. You're fine. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. The Venture X Card from Capital One gives you more of what you love, like premium travel benefits and access to Taylor Swift tickets. Oh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. Plus, get access to Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Maybe I'll see you there. The Venture X Card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.